Hello, I'm Morgan Jenkins from the Going In Blind podcast, and you're listening to Dungeon Master's Block. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block. This is a continuation of the last one, and we are still talking about the greatest person in the game, the Dungeon Master. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and, of course, lowering the egos of sometimes our pesky players. Uh, (laughs) I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. This is a continuation, like I said, of the last episode with Morgan. He's... He never left, but he's back again, I guess you could say, (laughs) and we are talking through our top tens. So before we get to that and all of the enjoyment that you will find out of that, we have a few shout-outs that we need to get to. Our first shout-out comes from Tim Hargis, and it's just entitled simply DM, and it's five stars. This is the best podcast ever. I listen to it when I write my own campaign, and there is no shortage of good ideas. And that was quite a short post, and we... uh, (laughs) We thank you nonetheless. He Tim wanted Hargis. his shout out. Yep. Tim Hargis, yep. you got it. All right. Our next one is coming from Graystorm, and it's entitled Landscaping Zin. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I have been a GM for over 30 years and recently got back into podcasts. I find this a helpful and entertaining podcast. It's perfect for building any fantasy world or to listen to as I landscape my parents' backyard. Keep inspiring your fellow hobbyists. Will do, Graystorm. Thank you for that review. Our next review is by somebody very special. His name is E. Gamma. His his review says, Great source of DM advice and ideas. Five stars. He writes, It's nice to have a clean D&D podcast for a change, with two great DMs who talk about their own campaigns, as well as ideas from your campaign. It's all pretty system neutral, which is nice. They have great guests, too. Yes, we do. We yes, have some we great do. guests. And we have and another we, one coming and up. And we have in this some episode. fantastic fans. Thank you, E Gamma. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, without further ado, we are going to get into story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. All right, so for story time, we had an awesome, awesome opportunity to invite one of our professors, Chris, from our, our college days to come and join us in a D&D game and to teach him how to Dungeons & Dragons. And so <laughs> we, had him, we had him come in, and we had just ha- done the episode with Sean from Tribality on heists, and we knew that he loved heists. He loves the movie Italian, Italian Job. Job. He bought like a Mini favorite. Cooper oh, because man. he loved the yeah. movie. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, how do we get him into this game? And so uh, we're like, all right, we're doing a heist campaign. So I was DMing, and we, we brought him in, and we said, all right, sit down. We're gonna we're gonna play. It was pretty amazing, I have to say. Like I thought he was gonna be a little bit more hesitant. He jumped in. Yeah, I didn't super know. Well. I didn't know with his personality whether he would have been the he's guy never that's done like he's never done it before. He's pretty. I mean, he can be. He's pretty animated when he yeah. talks oh, and teaches yeah. and stuff like that. So. so, so I thought there was the possibility. Like after the initial, like oh, we talk in voices, and you know, Mitch does a lot of different impressions because he's DMing. 
I thought there would be this little bit of a delay of like, I don't know if I'm really going to get into this. And he did a lot of like giggling the whole, probably like the first like 10 minutes. He's like, what? What? (laughs) Like, what's going on? And uh, I mean, it didn't help that he walked in and we were all dressed up like just as like a prank on him to be like, yeah, we dress up all the time and play. Yeah, we got that mailbag of holding. We shared shared a couple episodes ago. Yeah. From the legend of tabletop guys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So so we, we did that to our professor and he walks in and he's like, what is going on? And we're like, what? You didn't get the Facebook message that we sent out? He's like, no. And like, we totally had him sold that we sent the oh, Facebook yeah. message out and stuff. And uh, yeah, so so we we decided to do a heist. And if I remember right, we were a group. It was kind of like Ocean's Eleven a little bit, where it was like yeah. one last big yeah, you, heist. You'd been a group before, but you know things had gone sour. I forget who it was, but one of you had like landed yourself in jail like for a long time. Just uh, just broken out calyx yeah calyx was the one that landed himself in jail yeah and so uh we brought the team back together under the planner of the group who was gray bar gray bar gear spinner who of course is a gnome and he he basically you know i played gray bar and he brought all of you guys back together for that one last heist to steal painting from an embassy a dwarven embassy of these two dwarven heroes which ended up being these two PCs from another another campaign because I like to put little cameo mm-hmm. stuff in, but nobody figured that out until the end of the night. I don't think I was. I don't think I played in the campaign with. Yeah, those other you two. you didn't. It was not a surprise that you didn't because uh, I feel like in the ones that you play in, you're usually the I first usually person pick to get up that on them pretty quick. Like spark. Yeah. You have a tell when you do something like do that. I, you, you have a little smirk on your oh, yeah. face, yeah, when you when you reveal characters. And so it's it's hard. I, I love it so much. Well, because it's, it's that moment where it's like, oh my gosh, I finally get yeah. to reveal this NPC that <laughs> we is, haven't used is. in a while. Yeah. Uh, so got together with our professor, got to play and do a heist. And so you guys decided. Well, we we I gave you guys a blueprint that Graybar had acquired, and you were a guard working for the embassy because you were a dwarf, and mm-hmm. so you had. Guy had been called a little while before and told to be the, yep. basically the inside man. Inside yeah. man, man. Uh, and so you kind of had the skinny on the guards mm-hmm. and how they were able to, what their patrols were. You infiltrated. You got you got to find a spot where you could help them up over the wall. Yep. Had to do a little bit of sabotage before to bit, get yeah. in there, but yeah. <laughs> and so tell us about like the night and how things went. It uh it started off really well. Like yeah. the first thing I had to do was go back for there was two shifts. I had to do one shift the night before to get the guy. There was basically like it's basically a square compound, rectangular compound, four watchtowers on each corner, and we went in from the back, the, from one of the back watchtowers. Like there was a forest back there. We figured it would be easy to sneak through. The only thing was is the guards they didn't really take a necessary like specified path through the forest. So. Yeah. I knew it was about a half hour they would make their rounds or whatever, and there was one guard that we had to take out of his spot. We knew that he liked to drink and sleep, like fall asleep on his post. Got him removed, and I volunteered to take his place, so it was it was perfect. It was working out great. Our guys come. I hear the guy in the background the next night walking by. I'm like, okay, come on, like get, a, get over. There was some hilarity that ensued with the, the two halfling brothers that were rogues <laughs> that – one climbed the wall really well, and one couldn't climb at all. And <laughs> they were supposed to be these rogues that were super stealthy and could basically do that at will. So we got over the wall, started walking. We had to sneak across like this open, grassy area in the back of the house. We had to cross over a little bit of a river. Everybody gets through. Everybody gets through. And then I'm the last one that has to get through. <laughs> and I am in – I don't remember exactly what armor I'm wearing, but it's not the quietest. I rolled 
awful. Like I think I got like a six or something like that on my on my stealth check. And I started walking and all of a sudden the commander (laughs) of the guard comes and he's like, What are you doing? Like, what are you doing away from your post? And I was like, uh and I had to like I was like, Oh crap. Like I haven't come up with any sort of excuse. And I was like you know, I was like, uh I you know, I, I said it a little bit more emphatically than this. I was like, I got hit by a rock and like I think it was I think it was the the guy that got fired from here and you know, he brought some friends and threw some rocks at me like He's like, okay, well, let's let's go back there. And so I was like, oh, you go back to your shoot, post, I'm and going I'm back sending guys out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh no. Yeah. And so all the other like thieves in your group like see you like get yelled at and walking away. They're like, oh gosh. At the at the same time, everybody's like, Phew. thank goodness, Chris, the guy who's like supposed yeah. to be working here, is the one guy who had yeah. caught because he's just gonna get reamed out for not being in his post. Yeah. Like our cover's not well, blown and we yet. Well, t- and, and you know there was he's like we're sending some guards out on the other side of the wall, and like I'll send somebody up. So I was like. Maybe maybe Mitchell take this into consideration that we pulled a couple of guards out from their other posts and stuff like that. So, you know, we they all went inside and I'm just sitting here trying to entertain this other dwarf named Prenton. And so he was like a younger dwarf who was like, I got to take care of this guy now. You know, like he can't do his job. Right. And so well, and that caused a little bit of havoc because you guys had these rings with mm-hmm. ears on them, which yeah. would basically walkie talkies that you were able to talk mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. And so they kept trying to like. You had the blueprint still. <laughs> yeah, I had that the was the hard part. Yeah. So they kept they kept trying to like get in touch with you and find out how, where they were supposed to go, and you had this other dwarf guard who was like, "Man, like if only you weren't here, so you'd have to wait for him to walk away and like go back onto your earring." Yeah. And talk. Well, the first thing was is when I first got back out there, I was like, "Okay, here's where you need to go." Take a right, go down the stairs, take a right, and it should be right in that main and area right there. of course right they there. forgot. And they for- I know. I was like, how in the world do you forget that? Like, right down the stairs, right. There's like, four of you how guys. Do you- two rights and down some stairs. Like, how the heck do you forget that, right? And they're like, well, do we do we go back up the next set of stairs? or? I feel like the worst, maybe sometimes it's the amount of people that makes it even harder because all it takes is that one person to go, no, I don't think that's what he said. And then you've messed well, up the entire Well, and like I'm directions. sitting here, I'm like, I remember details like that. Like I remembered where we had to go just by looking at the blueprint the first time when we saw it. And I hadn't looked at it since then. I was like, okay, right down some stairs, right. I was like, I could remember that. If anybody fought me, I'd be like, no, this is where we have to go. But of course, it was every, like, you know, I don't know if it was just like there were four other people and they were all really excited about our professor being there or if it, you know, it was, I'm sitting here, I'm like, I want to put the ring on, just give me the opportunity, (laughs) you know, like, but it was, it was, I mean, it it was fine. It it made for an interesting example of. Like, I don't see a lot of players able to do this. You were able to not be part of what was actually happening. Yeah, I was out for, like, half the ca- – I think it was probably, like, two hours. I did which, basically nothing. Which I thought you were just going to knock out the guard and head back. But you were like, no, 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 I want I want to do this well. I want them to succeed. I'll stay here. No, I was like, I was are like, you sure? Was, and you're like, yeah, I want this. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not going to be bored? And you're like, no, I'm entertained by what they're doing. I'm yeah. still able to talk. Well, I, and I was thinking, of, too, I was like, if I knock this guy out, who knows how long he's going to stay yeah. out. Other guards might come by, see somebody's not up there. So I was like, I, I – in my mind, I was like, as a guard, I would probably have to do this. And it doesn't give off any suspicion that anybody is out doing anything. It was a good example of not being self-centered in your own character. Like, you were just as interested in the rest of the characters and mm-hmm. what their story was as your own. And so you were willing to make it a little bit easier by staying 
and yet like letting them actually mm-hmm. try and steal this painting. Yeah. So they, they, they finally make their way through the embassy. They find the painting, which is in the big library area, and they use their grappling hook. One of the halfling brothers like hangs from the ceiling because it's on the ceiling. It's like Mission Impossible yeah. style going on here. <laughs> and yeah. so like he's hanging from the ceiling, and hashtag Magic Mark is playing this dragonborn wizard called Calix. He has a bunch of scrolls that Graybar the gnome gave him. Cast Which silence like five, on. He had like five silent spells and yeah. two other ones. A whole bunch of them to like be prepared. So he casts silence on the area around the painting because you guys have been warned there's going to be alarms. If you mess up disabling the trap, then that alarm is going off. So yeah. set a silent spell on the thing, and Flawful Jared was playing one of these these halfling brothers. The other one was our professor. So he's hanging from the ceiling. He's uh, unsetting traps and... Uh, basically, all these dogs start coming to life around Yeah, there were you. statues. There were four statues around the room, yeah. He has no idea because he's in the he's silence He's in the silence spell. He's, like, working, like, uh, what is it like He's that? just going from one to the other to the other to the other <laughs> yeah. around all four corners it's of the painting. It's basically, like, in Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man, where Stanley is listening to his headphones. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And there's all this stuff going in the background. That's basically <laughs> yeah. what's happening with him. You guys are fighting these stone dogs, like, ah! <laughs> like, and you're holding the rope that he's on, so every now and then he feels a little bit of a jiggle, yeah. but he doesn't really take anything into he's like it's probably he's just like, they're I'm just adjust, they're just assessing sweat. themselves yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he finally gets it he finally you got you get the painting down and i gave you guys this item which i thought was a pretty uh awesome item that i came up with it's called a mimic in a bottle so basically a mimic in a bottle <laughs> So that's, that's what I thought the whole time. I was just like, that's a theme song for this So thing. basically, this this is an item that I created that is like one of the most coveted of all thief items. And so a powerful Maybe wizard Maybe Kuroar can invent these right? things. A powerful <laughs> wizard has to shrink a mimic down uh, to a very small size that fits inside of a bottle, obviously. And so what will happen is you can take this mimic with you, and if you're going to steal something, you can hold the mimic in the bottle up to this object. It will assume the form of this object. In really teeny tiny form in the bottle. And you take the object away, you open up the bottle, and you, like, step back because it's a mimic, and the mimic will, will grow once it's open out of the bottle, grow to its regular size of that object, and assume its place. Mm -hmm. And then the next person who comes around and tries to touch that there's a little bit of a uh, discrepancy (laughs) with the item that we saw the the mimic was like sticking the tongue out of one of the riders on the (laughs) but very small wouldn't have noticed first glance and so it's this way to cover your tracks and make it so that hopefully it's like you weren't even there and until somebody tries to move that fancy object they're not going to know that it's a mimic. And so you guys did that, and then it was, okay, we got it. You had a bag of holding. Calix, Mar- hashtag Magic Marks, Dragonborn Wizard put it in the bag of holding. And then Graybar starts talking to you on your ear earrings and said, you know, head to head to this door, head to this door. I'm going to get you guys out. Go, to, go through the entrance yeah. of all places. And all of a sudden, he's like, all right, Calix, it's time. Release the silence spell, and Calix like calls off the silence spell, and the alarm starts going off, and you guys are like, "What's going on?" And he's and Graybar speaks in the ears again, and he says, "Throw down that ice wall." And Calix pulls out a a scroll and throws an ice wall between you and him, and then he said, "Use the invisibility scroll," and you see him disappear, and then you hear Graybar's voice saying, "Enjoy jail." Yeah. Like, I hope well, and I don't know what's jail. going on because I'm out of my post, and all of a sudden I just hear like alarms going. Yeah, and Prenton's like, "Come on, we gotta go." And, and then I'm you like, put on the ring, and I put and on the, the last ring. thing you hear is "Enjoy jail, suckers." Yeah, and you're like, 
uh uh oh <laughs> like this <laughs> is not good yeah so you jump over the wall at this point you you go over the well, wall i had to knock printing out yeah first. You knocked i was like out sorry buddy like this wall. is nothing personal you're like i i think you were just like i'm a thief this is a heist campaign i'm out of here <laughs> like yeah. i'm not getting caught yeah. like that was your your and everybody's like oh you're leaving you're like yeah i'm a thief we're all thieves yeah. <laughs> well no my my thought was is i was gonna go back and find gray bar i was gonna go back yeah. to the thieves guild hideout because i knew all of my friends were in there and i don't think like calyx probably knew that i wasn't in there so they were probably gonna change where they were going anyways but i had the ring on and figured out like he he said some other things like meet out in the front and there was like this mm-hmm. this wagon thing out there oh, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. they they had this whole big like they were climbing on the roof and I was like that's really yeah. stupid like why they, are you climbing on the they roof they went and, backwards because they couldn't get through the yeah. ice wall yeah and so they ran out backwards and they they get out the side of the building and they see dwarf em- embassy guards coming at them more than they could handle so they pull out their grappling hook again go up the roof and now they're like on the roof and they just see like torches lit and like dwarven guards like they're up on the roof and you got the two haveling brothers and you got a tiefling thief that was playing as well and so they're like oh what do we do and they can see on the other side of the road in front of the embassy a stagecoach with gray bar in it and they see a door open with nobody opening the door and they're like we need to get there and so one of the halfling brothers slides down they had the, this sweet like jackie chan moment where yeah. they took their belts and slid it over this yep. like <laughs> this thing <laughs> This little, like, cord this, hanging yeah, down. Yeah, this line of, like, lights, like, heading down to a statue because yeah. there was a festival from the dwarves. Like, they asked if there was one, and I was like, sure, guys. Like, way to think out of the box. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. So they did the whole, like, zip line thing. And one of the halfling yeah. brothers, like, stayed up top and was just like, go, go. He sacrifice himself. Yeah, this yeah. was Flawful Jared. He was like, I'm going to sacrifice myself for my brother. And it was this really sweet moment of, like, our professor, like, just like this was the moment that we were like, man, he's he's doing amazing for yeah. his first time, yeah. And he's like, I'm not leaving my brother behind. So he like stayed and like the Typhlings trying to get out of there and catch up to the uh, to Calix. Calix throws down an ice wall, and so they're like, we're there's no way we're getting out of here. There's Calix is gonna get away, and the Halfling brothers are like fighting off the guards in this like back to back like moment. Like that was really cool. Like gradually they, every, one goes down, the other goes yeah, down. The other and go, our yeah. professor and Flawful Jared are like in this moment of, we know we're either getting killed or getting arrested. We've lost. And so the, the Typhling, he's also surrounded. You are running around the building. Well, cause I heard they were like, Oh, he's in the stagecoach. Cause yeah. I, I radioed in. I said, Where did they go? Yeah. And he's like, They're in the stagecoach out front. You come running into the street and you see Gray Bar getting away on his stagecoach coming towards you. Mm-hmm. And you just had this split second and you pull out your dwarven hammer. Pulled out my maul and I ran for it. I enchanted it with Searing Smite, because I was like, Okay, it does a little bit extra fire damage, maybe Mitchell give me some player credit and be like, oh, it, you know, the, the coach will start on fire at this point in time because you hit it with that. So I was just like, I don't I don't want them to get away. And so I was like, I throw my hammer and my whole body like just at the at, yeah. at the wheels of this yep. thing. And I think I, I rolled really well on it. I don't remember exactly what I got, but it was like I swung broke one wheel my body like yeah. broke the other wheel you at the same decimated time. decimated this carriage. Gray bar goes flying. Calix, who's invisible still, goes flying, but Calix makes a good tumble check mm-hmm. and is able 
uh, to get up and start running away without you seeing him. Yeah. You still you haven't seen the betrayal. You don't know what's no. going on. All you know is there's something bad going mm-hmm. down. And you grab Graybar from the yeah, ground. Yeah, I grab him. You're like, what's like, going what's on? What's going on? And uh, I, th- I think I basically, I don't remember how I did it, but I intimidated him somehow and got the information about, like, what was going on. And, no, I did know that we were betrayed because they said Graybar is driving away in the, in That's the coach. Right. That's right. They told uh, you. But, yeah, so I, I was like, okay, what, what's going on? Like, where's Calix going? Like, wh- how are you guys getting away? And he, he gradually, like, eventually he told me, and, like, some guards came running around the side of the building from, like, where I came from. And I was like, they saw me, and they were like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Uh, we were on a we were on a counter and <laughs> like in a, like a counterinsurgents group who was following the rogues because we didn't want them to get away with this painting, and we <laughs> caught one of the guys, and he's like, "You mean with the group who's killing the dwarves inside?" And I was just like, "Darn it, <laughs> that lies screw you guys!" <laughs> and he attacks you, he attacks and you me. use gray bars, I use a shield. Gray bars, a shield. Gray bar dies. And then you were able to knock him out yep, because you guys weren't killing. Out. You were more just knocking yeah, we people out. Knocking out yeah. They were killing they were because they, they were at their last row. Yeah. And so you were just like, all right, I got the information. Calix is wandering going around to the, the forest, so he's taking a little while. I stole a horse yeah. from a from a <laughs> you, taxi outside You jump on something. a horse and you head to the docks. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Halfling brothers and the Tithling are inside. They're fighting off all these guards. All of a sudden, they each... They in turn, they get knocked fall. out. Yeah, knocked there's no out. way they're going to survive out. this. Yeah, they wake up and they're in prison. They go to court. They didn't know about that the fact that they stole the painting. The mimic right. did its job, but they got charges for killing dwarves or trespassing on soil of the soil of Sivafell, which is the dwarven homeland. Yep. And they were sentenced to death for all the dwarves they had killed. Yep. And so they got into a carriage and they were being shipped back to Sivafell to die in the homeland. Before this, you catch up to Calix. Calix reaches the ship. He's visible again. You pop up. You're on the ship. Mm-hmm. I got there before him. And I still have yet to figure out. I still have yet to figure out what he rolled for health and how I did not take him down. <laughs> still trying to figure that out. Well, he hadn't taken damage at this That's point. Probably you what took it damage was, yeah. from the battle. Yeah. Well, I healed myself though with the with the potions on the way over. You know, we were both at full health and I missed one swing. The first swing I took, I missed on him. Which, if I would have hit, would have been very, very nice. Yeah. And I only had two, you know, level one spells, and I used one on the Searing Smite already, so I used Divine Smite on him. And if I had both Divine Smites, I probably would have killed him. Uh, and we would have had the painting, all would have been well, but I ended up losing. And he didn't want to kill me, like we were friends, but he, he wanted he, you to live with the shame. Yeah, yeah, essentially is what he wanted to do. And so we get back to the part now where they're riding in another stagecoach. And all of a sudden they hear, wait, what's going on? What is this? And then get they out hear, of the road. <laughs> yeah, like get out of the road. And I did the same exact thing again, like broke them out. We, we got the guards. You know, we took care of the guards. They're and like, where's the painting? Did you, get, did you catch up to Calix? And I told them we didn't, but I know what ship he was on and where he was headed. Yeah. So we kind of left it open-ended yeah. in case our professor ever wants to play again, which he was like, that was so much fun. And I think I think one thing that was really cool, you incorporated a lot of things that he loved. The heist, and there was the betrayal, and betrayal always has a way of hooking somebody Well, and in. all of you guys have dealt with the player and me as the DM talking and having a player betray somebody being secretly evil. You guys have seen that before. Yeah. He had never saw that, and for it to be his first time to do this dice, to have the classic betrayal, and, like, he was 
awesome when the betrayal he happened. Was pissed. He was just yeah. like, like pointing at hashtag Magic Mark. And he's you! like, you, yeah, you. <laughs> we have to kill him, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. fantastic, but it was just a great heist. Even though you all ended up losing what you stole, and most of you kind of lost the game and like got locked in jail, like we were able to like have that cool moment where. Chris, your character was able to get away and then break them out. Well, like and that a was a cool moment for me too because I hadn't really done a whole lot yeah. the whole time through. So to have that to moment be the was, savior was of fun. the group, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and to set up a one shot with a like, hey, professor, if you enjoyed it, come on back and enjoy it again for another yeah. one shot. So yeah. it was a great heist. It was a great time teaching our professor how to Dungeons and Dragons, and hopefully, we'll be able to share with you the continuation of this group of thieves sometime soon. Yeah, so if you're ever looking for a way to get somebody into Dungeons & Dragons, one-shot heist campaigns yes. are a lot of fun. Are fantastic. It was a blast, yeah. With that, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Just a mouthful. No! The flight meat. We have come to the part of the episode which I know a lot of you have been with great anticipation waiting for, and so we are going to head into our top 10 section. Top Alright, so our fourth top tens, this is 30 ideas coming at you, each of us has 10 ideas, and so we're going to do it round table like we always have, uh, even though we have two tables and this one. This is a really they're, long they're, table yeah. if we're all <laughs> at a round a table. really <laughs> long round table, but so we're doing it round table, and so we're going to start off with our number 10, and so Chris, would you like to start yeah, us, start and then off. Morgan, and then me, and we'll just go around that way, so let's... Let's yeah. start us off. My number 10 is entitled The Missing Masons and the Silent Walls. What I have written is it says the masons of a city are all kind of disappearing, and they've been captured and forced to make this castle for a king up in the mountains close to the city. Hmm. The premise is that when they are all done with the wall they, that they were building or the walls that they were entitled to build, they were placed inside of the walls and captured there for until they basically die. And the way that That's I came terrible. up the way that I came up with this idea though was I was I was driving my fiance around and I was like I was <laughs> and I placed her no, in no, a no. wall. <laughs> I know. I should probably preface this. I didn't place her in a wall. Uh, she's hanging out with kids right now that she works with. She's still there. There's easier uh, ways out no, of I, uh, <laughs> getting married. I worked masonry for a while and I and I showed her each of the buildings. I was like, I feel like there's like a piece of me at, in every single one of the buildings. <laughs> like I, there's just something looking at it that I was like, wow, I I put a lot of blood and sweat into this place. And so I thought, what happens if that was what the king wanted to do at the end of it? Is like maybe he has this feeling of like these guys really think they're a part of this wall. I'm gonna put him in there when they're that done. That king is horrifying. Yeah, he has, well, he doesn't want he doesn't want witnesses, so he's gonna put him. You know, he doesn't want him to escape or anything like that. So he puts I just him in there. now I just have this crazy like picture in my mind, like if I was a player character in that campaign coming up to a wall and there's like hands, like whether it's like they've paved them over with like 
stone and so like it's shapes of hands and faces and like legs and like just body parts coming making little bumps in this wall and that's a that's a horrifying picture <laughs> yeah. that is yeah. that is terrifying yeah. it is a terrifying picture or even worse kind of being in like a fetch what they think is just a fetch quest and it's just the you know this this noble says go and get me this particular bit of concrete from somewhere yeah. or this this gemstone or something and they bring it back and goes great that's going to be part of the wall and because you're helping now you are too <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> horrible <laughs> <laughs> All right, Morgan, start us off with your 10. All right, so uh, my number 10 is this idea and of the adventurers coming across a, t- a town and and the town having a, a whole heap of, of undead just tilling the fields. And, you know, the, the players go, oh, no, it's undead. But they're just, they're tilling the fields and huh. they're helping people out and they're doing stuff and they go into the town and they, they, they're they expecting some kind of necromancer or a lich or something and it's just Jeremy the farmer and he's there and he's, what are you doing? He's, oh, I raised the dead. Like, what do you mean you raised the dead? <laughs> oh, uh, this fellow taught me how to do it. And so they start tracking down this fellow and trying to write all these weird sort of situations and put the dead to rest, especially if the, the players have uh, someone like a, a priest with them who who wants to put the dead to rest and so you you use that to fuel them and carry them through as they keep going through and through and through until they eventually come across this mastermind of this entire thing having gone through all his acolytes they come across this lich who is on his deathbed Uh, and and then the twist is he's a good lich and he's been helping all these places (laughs) and he's been going through and teaching them how to utilize the dead so that they can live more comfortable lives because all the menial tasks have been taken care of and uh, these heroes have actually been going through and undoing his life's work another thing that i even think of is what if like they come up like your adventurers come to town and they don't see an undead working on the fields right away but they just see one like who's who's just walking from one place to another of course <laughs> your your players are gonna go ah yes. and like charge it and kill it and then this farmer comes out and he's like what what are you doing like, like yeah stop, right stop right. stop and then they show them like this industry that has been built around these undead and i almost picture like what if like you said the players go around trying to right this wrong free these trapped undead spirits that are now forced into this work and i almost like looking around and seeing these undead like who are at work but their faces look sadder than they normally would look (laughs) angry and being like these people are not being allowed to move on and like adding that other element to it would be interesting too that's that's really interesting or even having a um a farmer sort of like an undead lich and they 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 hear all these things of oh it's a lich it's a lich and they finally get there and he's just like no i'm just i really like farming and i thought (laughs) i should keep doing that so i decided to become this undead immortal so i could just keep farming yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love farming (laughs) that's the that's the reason to become a lich i could not imagine an eternity without the taste of a fresh tomato So my number 10 is, I entitled it The Pied Piper. We all have heard stories about magical loots and such like that and in classic child fairy tales, which are usually actually pretty creepy. (laughs) And so my idea is this bard has discovered this ancient artifact that's a flute and that it hypnotizes all who are within earshot of him. And so he has become super power hungry and uses this flute. And he be- basically he becomes, he goes from being like this, like happy-go-lucky bard to this 
really power-hungry jerk, <laughs> and he takes over this small hamlet, and this small hamlet, basically he's just constantly playing this flute and hypnotizing all the people in this area, and the effects last for a certain amount of time, so he's able to walk around every day and like hypnotize this entire town to treat him like a king. And maybe it's like this poor town and your players come along and you're you're not sure why these people look famished. They look in a daze and they're just talking about this this one guy, Bob the Piper or whatever he is, as like, <laughs> oh, Bob. Like, And you guys are like, these people are part of a cult. Like, why do they yeah. worship this guy so much? And then finding out that this is like this Pied Piper's hypnotized people. It would be interesting if he does it to the party for like maybe a week your party is like the protectors of this piper and you as the dm lead this way that somehow they they're able to get out maybe this npc like comes along and that's a friend of theirs and pulls them out of the town and helps them to to become unhypnotized and then the campaign goes to we need to free this town we need to get there and (laughs) get this pipe from this piper whether it's through silent spells they would definitely come in handy Putting like putting uh, plugs in your ear, but I think that would be a pretty fun adventure. <laughs> yeah, that would be. I, I think it'd be great as well if if your your players were after something uh, in a slightly more comedic bent. If he was able to not just have this pipe, but 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 or these these pipes, uh, but also amass other instruments like a lute yeah. and a couple <laughs> of other things, and and uh, amass other people that could yeah. join him, and basically you end up with a situation where the party has to kill a boy band <laughs> yeah. with an electric guitar that shoots flames out of the ends of it, like Mad <laughs> Max. Who are hypnotizing all these people, and they're like, "This is rubbish. They can't play anything. It must be magic. Yeah, right. Kill them." And that yeah, that would conquer that. Like they all can like go around each every day and like play their instruments and. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh in my campaign i've introduced this uh bardic band and they call themselves adventure time and of course they sing the adventure time <laughs> theme and i feel like i need to have them pop up again and be in they control of a town in a while <laughs> but we we've gone back to argonmore where they are a couple yeah. of times and haven't seen them we are adventure time come on grab your friends yeah <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah that's that's that that's my number 10 Chris, what's your number nine? Yeah, my number nine is I called Gromp Riders. I got this idea when I was playing League of Legends the other day. And it, it, if you guys, do you guys know what a Gromp is? Nope. Really, I do not. It's a really big, massive frog. Okay. In the game, he like ate a poisonous mushroom. It transformed him into like this huge frog. And now he's a poisonous frog. I just decided like, what if there's like a marshy area where these frogs originate from? People have learned to tame these things, and now they call themselves the Gromp Riders because they ride around on the back of these massive frogs who can use their tongues to catch people or whatever it is, and then the tongue either has poison on them or they can shoot poison out at them, and these guys have found a way to corral these things into being their mounts. And so I have, like, they just go around from small village to small village, like, raiding and looting, and you're called in uh, by the king of the bigger city nearby to take over and kill these gromp riders essentially these things sound terrifying because i imagine that these things <laughs> as huge frogs would have the swallow hole mm-hmm. like attribute to them well and, just, and it's these tongues like whipping out like quick striking snakes bringing in a whole human and just like seeing the the frog like swallow and just be yeah. like oh well and you also gosh. you also have the part where it's like people ride like a lizard and you can see it kind of glide and you see like them ride like a bear or a horse and they kind of gallop a little bit or whatever but you have this frog that's just taking massive bounds massive, now yeah. which is just weird in and of itself <laughs> and so it just like 
it just is like, what in the heck is going on here with these things? <laughs> I'm trying to fight it, and it's jumping over the top of the entire party. Yeah, right, right. So it doesn't get like attack. You don't get attacks for opportunity on it, but it's like jumping, licking you, or shooting poison at the same time. It's just this massive chaotic battle yeah. that's going on all at the same time. <laughs> so that was my number nine Fantastic. idea. Morgan, what's yours? My number nine, I have entitled Dollmaker. I hate where this is going already. <laughs> for for that, it's um, sometimes players. If they can't think of, of uh, origin stories, they like to play the amnesia card. Mm -hmm. I thought this was uh, this was a fun one if a player ever plays the amnesia card, which is you have them playing through the adventure with the other party members, and you have them just every now and again catching a glimpse out of the corner of their eye of a familiar face, and they just they can't quite place it. And none of the other players mm. get to see this. None of the other players get to know. But this one player with an unknown origin is just catching this familiar face out of the corner of their eye. But it's not quite familiar. It's a bit wrong. Yeah. And they can't place where it's from and they can't place why it's wrong. And they, 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 it, it happens in big cities. It happens out in the town. It happens all over the land that they're going around. And eventually they come across a place and they find out why that is. And it's a town or a village or, or or some sort of small grotto perhaps and it's full of people and all the people are in there and going and doing things and they all have the same face and the face is that of the player hmm. <laughs> they all have the player's face but the reason that the player was like that's a bit wrong it's not quite right is because of course they're not seeing the normal mirrored reflection that they used to they're seeing their face facing them so everything's <laughs> reversed and so you've got, all of a sudden you've got a situation where the player is freaking out and the other players are sitting there going, why is your face yeah. in front of us on thousands of people? What is going on? And it doesn't necessarily have to be on a, a PC. It could be on an NPC that's been traveling with the party. But you end up with this, this character called the, the, the Doll Maker. He's devoted his life to creating lifelike golems yeah. that are indistinguishable from the real thing. And this player or this NPC is one of them that somehow broke free of this spell. Wow. That's <laughs> that, cool. That's the idea. I like that idea. <laughs> I feel like you've mashed together the doll maker from Batman with like this Battlestar Galactica like robots who look like <laughs> humans like terrifying. like and and it would be interesting to find out as players, like if these things are like what a, how does it feel for these things like i almost feel like this warforged like mentality might go on of like we see ourselves as living creatures or are they just completely like robotic and do they just follow mindlessly the doll maker's orders if the doll maker is evil that could be terrifying yeah <laughs> my number nine is called freedom from banishment and basically i have this idea of this powerful evil spirit has come to the material plane and has possessed the body of this powerful wizard. And in whatever city this wizard is part of, it's now amplified this wizard's power and is now terrorizing and ruling over the city that this wizard normally lives in. And I thought the really interesting twist on this adventure, which would make this go from a difficult campaign of we need to kill this wizard now to an even more difficult campaign would be the twist is that this wizard who this demon or this powerful spirit has possessed is the only one who knows the true name of this spirit, which is the only thing that can 
expel him back to the plane from which he came. Is by and saying his name? Is that what Is by saying his yeah. name. And so you need to figure out as players a way to expel this spirit from the body of this wizard long enough that this wizard can regain his composure and expel with a spell and saying the name of the spirit, the spirit back to the world. So it's your, your players are like, well, if we kill the wizard, we're not getting rid of this thing. So that would not be good. We need to have this run around of figuring out some way to expel this creature long enough that this wizard can gain his composure back and get rid of this creature. Oh God. It's especially unfun if it's an incredibly long name. And after a certain amount of time, the wizard's <laughs> essence gets sucked back into the into the body. Yeah, exactly. You imagine that an evil spirit wouldn't have a name like Bob. It'd be some weird, <laughs> yeah. convoluted, long, yeah. like... And, like, in, in my world, jinn have, like, names that are only completed by their titles, like, that they've given themselves. So that would just make it even harder, yeah. All right, Chris, what's your number eight? My number eight I have entitled The Water King. I have the sun that takes over the throne of this king who passed away, whether, I mean, you could create it whether it's tragically or whether it's, you know, just of old age or, or however you want to work that in. But so he, he, he has a beloved son, like he loved this, this child to death, and his son inherits the throne, and he inherited everything that his father had, which also included a ring of water control. Hmm. And so people don't know this about him. They don't know that he has this ring of water control. It's like a secret that only the royal family knows about. But it's to help things with like if it's during flooding season to hold back some of the floods from destroying the city or if it's in a time of drought to bring more water up from the ground or whatever to to help keep this city going and keep it flourishing and keep the crops and farming going. But his son is a little insane and a little corrupt and only wants like he wants to try and control the people through the control of water instead of giving them Mm -hmm. water that helps everybody out. And so gradually and gradually, like the water starts to shrivel up, like the rivers start to shrivel up and the lakes start to shrivel up and people don't know why. They don't know that the king and the royal family has this ring of water control to help out. And so you're called in as a mercenary group or a couple of people or you're just curious citizens of like, okay, something's going on here because, I mean, even if it like rains, like if it rains and they don't fill back up what's going on here? Something magical is going on here. And so you guys start to investigate and you start figuring out, you, you read old parchments about this ring of water control that one of the kings inherited a long time ago. And so then there's this whole like royal conspiracy theory and you have to try and get the city behind you to be like, we need to get rid of this guy, but he's the king. Like people aren't going to join yeah. <laughs> you necessarily. So how do you manage that whole situation? So this jerky brat <laughs> who's power hungry with an ultimate artifact of power yeah i think of uh what was his name from game of thrones the uh um, joffrey joffrey i think yeah. of joffrey, joffrey a little bit with, with this the, kid with yeah. Water yeah right that's terrifying <laughs> that's terrifying right especially if you tie the uh, it only works if it's being used by someone of the royal bloodline Ooh, yeah yeah that's a good time so then they have to try and find someone else yeah maybe there was like somebody who the younger child had kidnapped a long time ago and so there's this like there's this grand conspiracy of how did this child disappear? It's like the missing child or whatever. Yeah, that's a fantastic element to add into that. What's your number eight, Morgan? My number eight is called The Forbidden Valley. I have no idea why. 
perhaps it's because it's forbidden. <laughs> Basically, the the idea is that the players have to go somewhere. They have to get from point A to point B. It happens all the time, and you end up going, yep. what do I do to keep that interesting? And sometimes your creative juices are not flowing, and you just go, orcs, more orcs, <laughs> more orcs, some goblins, some yep. orcs, done. Random encounter. Yep, random encounter table, <laughs> random encounter table, hat table. You're now wearing hats. <laughs> and so I thought, well, one thing that it could be is, is they have to go from point A to point B, and there are several ways that you could go. And the easiest way to go seems to be through this valley. But someone, maybe it's a crazy old crone or something, someone who's not necessarily the, the best judge of character or anything else is sitting there going, oh, it's a forbidden valley. And they're like... That's great. And then she <laughs> goes, a perfect voice. You know, and then she goes, oh, and this is a forbidden grape and that's a forbidden chair. And you're like, okay, you're not all there. Lovely. She's, crazy. She's not quite there. And they go into this forbidden valley and it turns out that it is actually a forbidden valley. And the reason it's forbidden is because anyone that goes in there hasn't come back out or hasn't come out the other side hmm. because it's a giant mimic. Mm. The entire valley is a giant mimic. <laughs> and so now the players have to try and get out of this thing as it's attacking them and climbing over bits and pieces of boulders and rocks and trying to get out of this valley. And every now and again, a boulder or a rock or a tree that they grab hold of is part of the mimic. And every now and again, <laughs> it's not. It's just a rock that's gotten stuck there. And so they have to try and figure out which bits are mimic and which bits aren't as they fight the entire valley and try and get out. That's fantastic. That's crazy. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> the valley's alive. <laughs> and if you add the hills in the, have eyes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if you add in like the element of the mimic having that adhesive on it, and like, oh gosh, that's terrible. So maybe do you see like dead bodies stuck to some of these yeah. rocks, yes. like as you're going through there, like, in, in like really be... odd spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they come alive, and the bodies are still stuck to them, <laughs> like coming at you and fighting be crazy I'm well i have to say that's that's a tough act to follow especially because my next one is similar but i feel like not as good <laughs> <laughs> so my number eight i i've entitled the cult of the gateway of the beyond and so i i imagine this cult that's this underground cult in the city and there's this this chamber this holy to them chamber that has a gateway like this archway in this chamber, this beautiful looking archway that they believe every third day or every day or whatever it is, depending on how big this cult is, that as a cult, they decide on one person who has achieved enlightenment or whatever it is, and it's their turn to go to the beyond because this gateway, whoever steps through it, goes to the beyond, but nobody else who's not been chosen is able to enter into this holy place and walk through the gateway only the person who has been chosen is allowed to go in and enter into the beyond and so this person walks into this room the doors are shut and they are just in blissful mode of i'm going to the beyond i had reached the final level and it turns out that this gateway is actually a really intelligent mimic <laughs> that when the person steps into the gateway, it devours them, it licks up all the blood, and there's no remnant of this person left behind. And after like a good like 10 minutes or whatever, the gates are open and the rest of the cult comes in and they're like, yay! <laughs> Bob has joined the others in the beyond. And they're all like all around it, like worshiping this gateway and just like think it is this. They're 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 not evil. They're like good. They think oh this is this is how you ascend or whatever it is. But they're actually all just 
beating this intelligent mimic who is inside smiling as like they're sending him his next lunch. <laughs> is there like one priest who's the priest of this? Mimic, yeah, or I, I didn't really. Is it like maybe the mimic has like telepathy powers and that would like be it, an interesting like it, it's to it. it's being able to like telepathically tell people it's, this is yeah, how you pass into the just beyond. I kind of went on the idea yeah. of it's a crazy cult. They've got yeah. their own form of like maybe they in Survivor like they always draw rocks in the white, yeah, right, the white right. rock. It's like that's the one who goes like so yeah. whatever it is. The mimic probably doesn't give a darn. Like he's probably more excited when it's like a heavier set person who's like <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that that's a would be a really crazy part to put in like this. Maybe like it's a crazy mutated psychic mimic that is able to put his thoughts into yeah. certain people's head and so the whole cult hears jonathan you are chosen today yeah and so not only is this mimic being fed but he's being worshipped by this crazy <laughs> cult and tricked them completely jonathan you are you have been chosen bathe in salt and bacon <laughs> yeah, yeah well that's that's a good point because it could be like yeah put put the anointed oil on which just so happens to be teriyaki sauce which is like that yeah which is the mimic's favorite spice for you to use <laughs> oh that's fantastic uh, that's awesome <laughs> bring with you the greatest wine yeah right <laughs> Fantastic. All right, number seven, Chris. Yeah, I have uh, this one called the Illusionary King, or you could do like Elder or whatever the city holds or council member or whatever. At one point in time, this member goes out on a quest for whether it's to send a message to another city or to bring peace to another area or whatever it is. He's sent out on a mission, and he comes back and sits back on the throne or the council chamber or whatever he, position he holds. But it's not really him. He went away. And I thought when I was when I was thinking through this idea, I didn't know that you had the doll maker idea, Morgan. And so maybe <laughs> it's something along the lines of like the doll maker captured this guy and made one that's in his likeness, or it's some sort of illusion spell that it's really not the king. It's really not whoever this was said it was supposed to be, but it's an imitation of them. Or you could do a doppelganger or or whatever. I didn't even think about doppelgangers when I think of this idea. But maybe it's just an illusion spell that is really intelligent and somebody's controlling it. And the way, you know, illusions work is somebody has to really believe that it's not there, right? And so finally somebody believes that it's not there, but nobody else believes that it's not there. Somebody sees that the king really isn't there, but nobody else can see it yet, you know? So it brings in this really weird element of like, okay, does the family know? Like, does the family recognize that this isn't the right person? Like, <laughs> it brings in a lot of elements of illusion magic that you have to think through and stuff. So that was that was my number seven. Fantastic. It's me now, isn't it? Yes, it's it you is now. you. It is you. Yay! I remember the turn of events. <laughs> uh, so my, my number seven, I've called Prison Break, which gives the game away straight away, but um, <laughs> right. we'll see how it goes. Because, of course, the, the, the thing is that the players have been going around, maybe it's early on in the adventure, or maybe they've sort of, they've, there's been a period where they've fallen asleep and woken up in a strange land or what have you. But for whatever reason, they're in this this place and it's rolling hills and it's green and it's it's lovely pasture and um and there are other people around sort of roving bands of what seem to be other adventurers but there hasn't been any adventure happening but then they start hearing tales of of certain groups like you start to know the group you're like oh that's that's jerry and the wanderers and this is the other and you know and then all of a sudden that sounds you're like, like a bardic band i have something later <laughs> named in here that that sounds something like I'm that jerry and these are the wanderers <laughs> <laughs> we love you jerry <laughs> and the wanderers 
until he starts giving you all his music for free and then we hate yep. him. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Jerry, stop playing. We're having dinner. Stop it, Jerry. Jerry, go away, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. Um, and, and, no, and, and, and so you're, you're going around and then you start hearing like, oh, Jerry and the Wanderers, they've stopped playing at the tavern. They've, they've disappeared. And, and um, you know, oh, Eric, Eric's band of, of, of brothers just disappeared the other day and no one's heard heard of them what's going on and and you start to find out and and the, as it unfolds you, you discover several things firstly you discover that where you thought you were with this wonderful sort of lush rolling hill it's not actually it's just a it, it's a, a truman show-esque sort of dome or, or area that is enclosed entirely but seems to be outdoors but it's not actually outdoors and you're actually in a prison you've been imprisoned ah. and as with all good prisons not only are you in there, but you're not alone. And so there is something in there with you picking off various adventuring groups. Ah. And so you have to try and find out what that is and find ways to get out of the prison and try and unlock the secret doors using whatever you can to do it. Um, magical wards and maybe puzzles or towers of Hanoi or something. And, and so you have to try and find your way out of there as this thing keeps picking off group after group after group and you have to figure out what it is i haven't figured out what it is yet <laughs> <laughs> well, that's up to the listeners if they take that idea yes. what is it like <laughs> if you watch lost i mean to an extent <laughs> we still haven't figured out what the black no, we, we still yeah right know what's right going on. <laughs> but it's a fantastic show <laughs> that's an awesome idea i like that idea a lot my number seven i've entitled cursed rings of nightmare and this is something that i did as a dm with one of my first D D groups is the group would wake up from their rest every now and then and they would find that one of them had a ring on and all of a sudden they would all have these rings appeared but whenever but these rings were cursed so they couldn't take them off and they, it was a very powerful magic. So they'd go to priests and they'd be like, our remove curse is not working. We can't take these off. Like this. And so these, these players, whenever they would take a rest, they would start to have nightmares of these crazy events. And these like it was their greatest fears would come to life in their nightmares. And all of a sudden, strange things started happening. They would appear in their own dreams. They'd have shared dream experiences. And then it went even scarier to the fact that their dreams started affecting their realities. Like they would mm. fight a monster in a dream and they'd wake up with scratches all over their body or they'd wait, they'd, they'd find an object in their dream and wake up and that object would be in their hand. And so they were just like, oh my gosh, like it was terrible that we are having these nightmares and so we can't get a full night's rest and heal up like we properly should be. But now these dreams are, we're waking up and we're more dead damage that we were or like these terrible things are happening to us so what what was happening was this this evil dream wizard uh this wizard who's like he was specialized in magic that had to do with dreams like was sneaking in at night to their camp putting them under a spell and placing these cursed rings on and it led up to this big battle where this wizard finally got all the members of the party to have these rings on and was able to put them into a dream state and they basically had to fight their way out of this crazy dream world where one of the things that I like about this is in a dream, anything is possible. So that goes one for you as a DM. Like you don't have to explain why this or this happened because it's a dream. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. It's a dream. 
But also the the way that these players eventually were able to defeat it was they were able to finally realize we're in a dream. If we can <laughs> realize it and believe it, we can do things that we normally wouldn't ha- be able to do. And so they eventually were able to break out of their dream state and they woke up to this this crazy little gnome dream wizard who in reality when you weren't under his dream cursed spell he was easy as heck to beat so they were able <laughs> yeah, to right. they were able, once they his beat power him, came through yeah. the through the dreams yeah, yeah so once they beat him the rings were able to be taken off and they were able to bring him into town and throw him to the authorities but it, it became this like really awesome like inception like yeah like, all the players got put in different areas of the dream and they had to come back together and beat this huge spire of like bodies that like attacked them and it was it was a really fun way to do things in D that normally players would be like that's just dumb or it has to be magic that explains that because in dr- in a dream world who cares? You can do whatever you want. You get you get a ring put on inside of your dream, and you go into another dream. Yeah. <laughs> just keeps going. How many layers is there? Exactly. I love how with the dream also comes that weird dream logic, and of course the players are going to be sitting there and they're going, "Okay, I'm in this place, and he's in a square room, and I'm in a round room, so I'm going to have to go forwards and then to the right, and you know they'll start mapping out paths and things." And of course, with with dream logic, you don't necessarily have to do that. You can just sit there and go, "Oh, you know what." I was in the kitchen and then I went into the bathroom and then all of a sudden I was in Jerry's house and then I came back and I was in the stadium and it made perfect exactly. sense in the dream, even though it doesn't actually make sense. Yeah. And so they could just be like, okay, I walk into his room, I'm there. <laughs> and and it could happen. Yeah. And the, the players will not necessarily think of that. And then if one of them does, the rest will start kicking themselves because they didn't. <laughs> I have way too many dreams personally where I always refer to it as like some kid just sitting on the couch flipping through the channels because one second I'm flying, one second I'm like playing D&D with my friends at yeah. the table, one second I'm back in high school like going to class. Like it doesn't make sense at all and that's a perfect <laughs> dream logic is different than dream logic is no logic for the most part. So. <laughs> all right, Chris, what is your number 6? My number 6 I have entitled Sunken Marsh City. And this is possibly a place that you could add to your world. There's not necessarily any sort of quest that you have to go on in this place, but it's a city that's within a marsh because the people didn't want to, they like, maybe these people are so crazed about like loving their possessions and loving their homes that they don't want to leave them the minute that the the marsh or the swamp starts to take over, you know, where they live. And so these people just gradually learn to deal with the diseases or with the algae that comes around or whatever. And maybe they even like, the way they walk around is on stilts all the time. And All so, I can think of right now is Monty Python, where they yes, built the cat. Yes. Right? I heard you laughing, and I was like, "There's he's thinking the next." What part? I I built the castle on a swamp, and the first one sank into the ground. <laughs> then I built another one, and that two sank into the ground. The third one, third one burned one down, fire. then sank into the swamp. But the fourth one. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking right now. Oh, so these people would stilts like just awesomely fits this this <laughs> kingdom. Yes, so maybe you have a castle that's been tried to be built four times within this area and one's finally standing. Uh, but maybe these people, what like, the they cousins? just... Yeah. <laughs> but maybe they just love their possessions so much that they're not willing to part with them and just are so attached to the city that you just come across a sunken marsh city and you're like, why don't you guys leave? Like, what the heck is going on here? And, like, you find out that the water might be, like, poisoned or something like that. Like, it might just be – so that's why they have to walk around on stilts everywhere. Yeah. And maybe this is even the home to the Gromp Riders. Who knows? Like, maybe this is where they come from. So. And the prince of uh, the Gromp Riders always likes to sing – 
He's going to sing. He's going to sing. <laughs> oh, none of that. None of that. <laughs> stop that. Stop that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Morgan, what's your number six? Oh, dear. Sorry. It's just it brought back so many memories. Hard I, to I, recover I, from that one. <laughs> it, it is. It is. I actually, I actually got to play him on stage. Um, really? In, in Spamalot once. It was the Prince. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Nice. What, the nice. curtains? <laughs> So much fun, so much fun. But uh, yes, my my number six. It doesn't have a title, unfortunately. That's okay. But uh, it's the idea is that the um the players possibly after having escaped from say a sinking pirate ship from the previous creation and inspiration, <laughs> and they find themselves on a small island, having sort of survived this shipwreck, and they travel around the island for a small period of time, and then it's very small you can walk around it think sort of the island from uh, pirates of the caribbean where it takes about two minutes to oh, go yeah. around it and th they're on this island there's there's very little there's sort of no food no no shelter nothing and they're starting to get a bit desperate and that's when the island starts to shake and starts to move and they think oh no it's an earthquake and it actually turns out that they're on the back of a giant turtle they then find out if they're able to harness the giant turtle and, and, and able to steer it and you have some vines or something around that help give them the idea but they then are able to steer the giant turtle and they discover that they are in a sea where pirates don't have ships they steer giant turtles <laughs> around and so you can start boarding other parties or other groups or other pirates you can board their turtle Ooh. and take over the turtle and take the goods from that turtle like oh those pirates have coconuts and the most dreaded pirates of this ocean have to have like a giant snapping turtle that it's like oh no <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but yeah you can you can throw in different types of turtles like too like there's that one turtle who has the elongated neck Mm -hmm. That that's fantastic. That'd be sweet. That'd be yeah. so cool. Maybe throw in a dragon oh, turtle. Oh, there you the go. People. That's the one that beats the snapping turtle with, out with big poles for jousting. <laughs> Maybe it's a ramming ship. I like that idea. That's that's sweet. Yeah, that is awesome. My number six is entitled "The Coming of the Iron Army." We have talked about like myrrh from our magic episode. Love the myrrh, warforged and golems and such. And so my idea with this is that there's two nations. And this one nation is much smaller in population size, has always kind of, we can even say just for the sense of maybe they're evil, but they've always been able to be kept in check by this larger nation. And this larger nation can be the nation that your players are like on the side of. But for hundreds of years, this evil nation, even though they're much smaller in population, they've underground, they've been working on building thousands of myrrh, warforged, and golems to amass this iron army to send and destroy this larger nation that your players are a part of. And so maybe your players catch wind of it because maybe they work for the king or something like that. And this golem comes to town as a like messenger and saying, we are coming to destroy you. Your reign is over. Our reign will just begin. And then this whole campaign can be set up with the Battle of the Iron Army with Merg, Warforged, and Golems, and even other constructs like the Warforged Titan. If yeah. anybody knows what that thing is, fantastic, scary war machine that could be thrown in. You could throw in all different types of constructs that this smaller nation is sending because they now they don't need to send any of their... Maybe they do have like a couple actual mortal men who are commanders of this army but you're you're fighting this this army made of iron wow <laughs>
<laughs> I feel like half of our ideas today are like, if you want to be mean to your players, <laughs> here is some idea. Yeah. Like, make a uh, giant valley that's a mimic. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but only parts of it. If you want your players to feel like they've got everything sorted and worked out and then destroyed. <laughs> here you go. So with that, Chris, number five, what's your number five? My number five is called Hydra Island. Yeah, this doesn't sound good either. Yeah, this doesn't sound good either. Well, well yeah, yeah, it's not. Uh, so there's this old wizard. I gave him a name. Ramsey Gale comes up to you. This old wizard who's kind of at the end of his life. And he's always wanted to visit this place called Hydra Island. Like everybody's heard the rumors of this place, but nobody's, they're not brave enough to go because who really wants to face a Hydra? And if it's named Hydra Island, it's probably plural for Hydra. So there's probably more than one. But this guy at the end of his life is this old wizard really wants to go and visit this place for some odd reason. So he somehow offers you enough gold or whatever it is that is going to entice you or your players to go to Hydra Island. And you get there and you see that this place is just like there's you can't see any hydras because it's like jungle from the outside. But you see like footprints on the beach of like these hydras and you see various different sizes of them. And you so, so you know that there's tons of them all around. And as you go into this place you realize more and more that this used to be like, I kind of got the idea from like Jurassic park a little bit that like this place used to be somewhere where somebody wanted to capture a whole bunch of hydras, put them in like cages for people (laughs) to like look at and see them and just see that like, there's so many different types of hydras here. And then everything just went wrong. And you find out as you're going through here, Ramsey Gale is looking at these things and being like, I remember when this happened and when this was like this and when this is like this. And you realize that this guy doesn't want to go here to visit. He was the creator of this island and wanted to just go back to die with the Hydras because he knew he was at the end of his life. And he brought you along so that he had transportation to get there. Hmm. It just says to me that now if he dies, it has to be the standing in front of you and then he looks off to the side and he just goes, clever girl. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hydra. Yeah, right. Welcome. And Hydra head just comes out of the... Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that was my idea for number five. And so however you want to... If you want to add something in there on top of it, it's just this island full of Hydras that this guy basically brought and they all grew over the years so <laughs> that's another frightening prospect to throw at your players yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i also love the fact that he's got the old cages and things that used to be there before it went wrong yeah so you can potentially put in sort of some story ideas of oh maybe if we can get this working again maybe if we can get the the enchantments back up and running yeah if we right can jump start them we could possibly contain yeah this. and maybe he's the only one that knows what you know enchantments it needed so you have to talk him out of like not wanting to just come back to die with the hydras or maybe nothing goes wrong and you just have a whole campaign where the players think something's gonna go wrong and it's like nope it's zoo tycoon for D. <laughs> right <laughs> you're turning to clean up hydra poop <laughs> yeah there you go it just becomes a resource management game yeah, yeah right <laughs> exactly right hope you put skills into business yeah right <laughs> So, Morgan, what's your number five? My number five is just called Zen Garden. And the idea behind my number five is that the players are lost in a desert. And they're wandering around this desert and interacting with things and having sort of little encounters throughout this desert. And as they go about this, they later discover when they leave the desert and go to a neighboring area. And the neighboring area is just has been destroyed by a whole range of things like corrupt politicians. And there was a flood and a fire and all sorts of crazy things were happening. 
and they eventually discover that it was because of this one particular god that that's worshipped in this area and they track down and they, they find the the priests and things like that and they discover that the reason this entire sort of continent basically has been destroyed is because the desert they were wandering through was actually this deity's zen garden hmm. and they just walked right through it and ruined all the pretty lines and the raking <laughs> and the putting of the stones in the places and destroyed the serenity of this god of this deity so they in, in turn they've sort of lashed out at this section of the world that they see over and so not only do they have to keep skirting around this central desert because they don't want to go back through the Zen garden, but they have to go around and now start fixing all these things that they essentially caused to happen. Good luck surviving. Because <laughs> he's probably pissed. <laughs> Blasphemy of the gods. <laughs> Desecration of the Holy Land. Nothing can go good for you at that right. point in time. I, I love any kind of campaign with like some kind of religious like aspect. I feel like it, it draws your players in, especially if they have any connection to the gods that you choose to use. My number five, I have entitled The Mimicking Enemy. And so this is not a mimic, just so we, huh. just so we make It's sure. a large valley where only parts of it are. But I put it higher up the list. Uh, basically, in one of our recent games, Chris, you guys have been in this maze where you came across these creatures that had mirrors instead of faces, mm -hmm. and yep. they, they would, like, look at one of you guys, like, your player characters, and you'd see the face of your player character in that mirror, they're called mirror men. They would be able to do everything that your character was able to do. They took all of your abilities and they were able to switch and look at another player if they've decided, and which at the end of the battle, they all looked at our tank and were like, let's take on all of his. Yeah, right, which right. Is crazy. Well, that's not nightmare fuel at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No. So I, I actually think I had them roll for their. Yeah, you did. You rolled for us, well, whatever character we were. Terrifying to, yeah. Because they knew exactly what their characters could do. So uh, <laughs> you can take that idea if you want. But my idea is to have this this one adversary who is able to mimic the powers and the skills of the party group that becomes a powerful enemy of the group and is powerful enough to be an adversary of all the groups. So one guy, or if you want, have it be a group of enemies that are able to do this. But I like the idea of one really powerful mimicking enemy. There's like a mutant named Mimic in X-Men mm. that's able to do this and copy powers. I think of Rogue. Yeah, Rogue um, can I, siphon I powers. I love yeah. the, the guy Taskmaster, the enemy, who's able to watch any kind of like he watches Hawkeye shoot an arrow, and he can shoot he can, an arrow yeah, just it, yeah. as well with that. Uh, well, within D and D campaign, I would imagine that uh, a really powerful mimicking enemy would go beyond like simple attacks to being able to cast whatever spells you cast. So you cast fireball on him; he's going to be able to cast fireball on you and your entire party. And how terrifying that would be as an enemy who's able to just take in what he sees and put it out there and what if he's able to do that with like he does that with not just you but other people as well mm. and so he comes at you with this whole skill set that would be a terrifying enemy that i would love to put in my one of my campaigns whether that's like he is the greatest bounty hunter of the world or whatever it is yeah i remember facing those mirror men and it was awful <laughs> <laughs> if he couldn't hang on to them if he was um if he could only do it like mirror men if he could only do it sort of if the thing was there, if he could, or, or if he could only hold one 
aspect at a time. So yeah, you like could Rogue be able or to Peter shoot Petrelli and... from Heroes, only a certain amount yes. of time. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Peter, but I couldn't remember his name. If he, and he was a, like a big game hunter or something. So you went into his his lair, and it was this big circular room with all these cages lining the walls high up. Oh. And so he'd stand there and look up and look at this particular thing in its cage and take on an aspect of it and fight you. <laughs> so he just keeps picking things from around the room and you have to try and deal with that. That adds to a whole, you can drop a mystery in your campaign of these powerful adventurers are going missing and now you have to find them. And maybe even, like this is a great opportunity for if a player is missing for the night, maybe they get captured by yeah. this <laughs> yeah, and you have to free him. But that's, that's a, I love that twist, Morgan. That's, that's fantastic. It's not nightmare fuel at all. all right chris number four my number four is entitled tunnels of gold and so in this one you could either you could be on either sides of what i'm about to say but in this one you find out that the largest bank in one of the largest cities of your world is robbed it's been been ransacked like the vault all the gold is gone all the you know whatever possessions were in the basement or in the vault if it's on the lower floor are gone everybody's drawn into this area to notice to like they hear about it it's big news like everybody's money is in this place they're like freaking out like what happened to our gold like how you promised us this was the most secure place in the world how did this happen and as people are leaving their houses more and more things from the rest of the houses and the rest of the businesses in this area are being stolen and so gradually you figure out that underneath the whole city whether it was you find a loose tile or whatever it was, this whole city has a tunnel system going underneath it that looks like it's been dug nice. for years and years and years. And somebody's been planning this elaborately for years and years. And they wanted to start with the bank to draw everybody out of their homes because they would hear about it. And every single one of the homes or businesses has more of these tunnels underneath it. And so these, these thieves guilds or whatever it was that stole this stole and just basically ruined a whole city's economy (laughs) for a very long time. And you could either be a part of, like, you could be detectives, or you could be the king's guard that are going to try and figure this out. But as you go through, you see this elaborate network, and you see different tunnels leading out in different directions of the city. And so you could could either be on that side where you're the victims of it, or if you want to be on the other side of this coin, you could be the people pulling off this heist. And so we could, you know, pull some of the stuff that we talked about with, with Sean from yeah. Tribality about this heist idea, you could pull some of that stuff in as well. I think that would be a really interesting, you figure out that the whole city's basically been ransacked at one time. So that'd be that a great was, that was heist my idea. campaign. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Actually, fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> All right, Morgan, give us your number four. Wonderful. Uh, my number four. Um, also doesn't have a name, but it's a little bit smaller in scope than uh, than my number five. It's just, it's a simple mystery. There's a fellow who owns an armory. He's in charge of the Royal Armory, let's say, mm-hmm. and bits of armor are going missing, and he doesn't understand why, and he's trying to figure it out, and he's trying to figure it out, and he's enlisted your party's help, and you go in there, and you travel around, and he says it only happens at night, so he locks you in at night in this armory, and you're in the armory, and things have been going missing, and you start to hear and, and noises and scuttling and all sorts of things. And um, like silverfish in a bookstore, but not, what you have instead is an infestation of teeny tiny mini rust monsters. Ah, <laughs> nice. That you then have to battle little, fast, scurrying oh, rust monsters gosh. as opposed to a 
as opposed to a big lumbering one, a little teeny tiny running ones. That's so much worse. Taking the swarm <laughs> traits and yep. putting it into rust monsters would be awful, terrifying. <laughs> Hopefully you have a monk in the party. <laughs> yeah. The image I had in my head was of um, the scarab beetles in the mummy. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. Those things are awful. Oh gosh, rust monsters are bad enough. What have you done, Morgan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've given all of us DM something great to use. <laughs> that's nightmare fuel if I've ever heard it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I love it. My number four, I have, it's another cult one. Uh, I've entitled it Cult of the One. I don't think this is a very original idea. I'm, sh- I'm sure that this has been used in fantasy lore a lot before. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's come up with this with a D&D world. But basically there's a cult, a uh, pretty powerful cult, that believes that all of the gods in a world's pantheon are actually just aspects of the one true and powerful god. And so perhaps they believe that it's blasphemous to worship only one aspect or two aspects or whatever as one god you know evil good neutral whatever it is it's all aspects of this the one god and so some extremists maybe they decide to start eliminating other priests of the aspects of the one because they're preaching false truths about pelor is not a god procon is not a god hextor is not a god no They're all just parts that we've given names to for the one God, and those are false priests. We need to take them down. So having this cult of the one in the city, all these priests are dying, and having to come and as a party, adventuring party, find wherever this cult of the one meets and be like, we have to stop this somehow. (laughs) Religious wars are always interesting. (laughs) Oh, always fun. I I also feel like it would be um, terrifying because yay terrifying if um <laughs> if they had some sort of artifact that was because they believe that all these aspects of this god have to become one if they have some artifact that could potentially do this but it needs to increase in power through use and through Ooh. bringing together aspects and so these priests aren't dying they're disappearing and you eventually find out they're being merged into this giant sort of blob of flesh that was individual priests being smushed together in unholy ways in order to be turned into uh, enough of a sort of holy power of all these different gods <laughs> that they can then start bringing the gods together. So if the players are really slow, some of the gods will start merging and it'll get really bad. I just had this image of me building a fire and you just coming along with gasoline and just being like, yeah. <laughs> like over the fire. That, that just makes that cult even more scary. Yeah. And for our players who love players, plot twists like what if at the end of this campaign you find out that the cult of the one is actually they're they're right <laughs> like in your world there is only one god that these are the aspects of that god and what if you find out they're right and you like that's your plot twist at the end like you actually stopped this cult but this cult is actually correct and so you start the cult again <laughs> yeah right <laughs> or you become <laughs> the leaders of the cult yeah that's, what I, was, that's what I was meaning yeah <laughs> yeah all right chris number three we're down to number three, two and one. These are our top ones, so listen in. My number three deals a little bit with geography of a world. Mine is entitled Volcanoes of the Demons. And so the theory is that, you know, I you know, if an island has a volcano, people may know this or may not, but each volcano, in fact, is a prison for a demon that was controlled huh. deep down inside the earth. And so every time that the volcano begins to erupt. It's the demon regaining a little bit of strength, trying to erupt. Like, so the volcano starts to erupt. It's his anger. It's his strength 
erupting out of the ground with the lava. It's superheating the ground. So every time it erupts, whether people know this in your world or not, it means that the bond is getting weaker and weaker, holding the demon down. And so eventually there's this big cataclysmic one, and the demon just shoots up out of the volcano. As if volcanoes weren't terrifying enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And so your, your party could be in charge of, like, they find out this lore, and they're like, oh, crap, we're like the volcano watch now or whatever. <laughs> we have to, like, every time a volcano's erupting, we're realizing that the bonds are getting weaker and weaker. And so they're, like, trying to get all of the mages together. They're hearing about this eruption. They're like, we have to go, and, like, we have to make sure that the bonds are secure. Otherwise, like, obviously they're huge demons if they're able to make the volcanoes erupt. And so they are gradually trying to strengthen the bonds or, you know, if one eventually gets out, it's your duty to go and, like, fight against this demon that is now roaming free throughout the earth. So that was my number three. Maybe a little bit of interesting lore you could add to your volcanoes. I love in that lore. Land, That's so. really cool. I wish I had thought of that. It, it may or may not be the lore of volcanoes in my world. <laughs> so totally there, you <laughs> there you go. There you go. It'd be especially fun if it was only for some volcanoes. Right. So there were some that were just normal volcanoes. So anytime the players come across a volcano, they're like, oh, no, this one's going to have a demon. It's like, <laughs> no, it's it, it's just erupting. It's fine. Yeah, right. right. I mean, it's, it's not fine because it's erupting, yeah. but still it's fine. It's fine, guys. <laughs> well, actually, on second thought, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. you, see it, you see it start to, like, drip down the mountain. Yeah. It's like, that's good. Oh, crap wait that can still hurt us <laughs> so that was my number three morgan what's yours my number three is actually it's 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 got a title that i stole from uh, an episode of my own podcast <laughs> weirdly enough and the reason for that may become apparent to anyone who has heard going in blind and it, it's called escape the pit or above the pit i guess but also escape the pit so it's almost the title <laughs> and uh, the the reason for this is there was a point where i imprisoned the players in a prison, weirdly <laughs> enough, and uh, the prison That's the weirdest is, plot is, uh, twist ever. <laughs> I know, so strange. Why not a giant valley? Yeah, right. No, um, and 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 so I I put them in this prison, the Neverwinter prison on the peninsula, and it's a triple level prison, and it's from one of the the games, but I tweaked the design of it slightly. I turned it into a spiral that goes down three levels, and the bottom level is the pit where they keep sort of the worst ones and all the secrets and everything. And so I thought it would be great because I, you know, the players had multiple ways to get out, and they could go through a secret passage, or they could escape and try and go up or down, and there'd be things in the way. But of course, they they went the passage, so all the rest of this stuff didn't happen. So now other people can take it, and it was basically that you would end up if you tried going up you would end up through mishap and misadventure in <laughs> the pit, in the bottom level, and then you'd have to try and escape. But in doing so, you have to break these magical wards that haven't been broken in hundreds of years. So when you break them, the prison's defenses kick into gear, and the entire spiral starts rotating down and down and down, and it starts drilling into the ground and so not only do you have to it doesn't do it particularly quickly but it means that not only do you have to run in order to not all of a sudden now have ground up dirt start <laughs> attacking you from behind but you're now dealing with all these other prisoners that are trying to escape as you sprint up this spiral as it starts going further and further down but then when you get to the top to what was the exit if you don't get there fast enough it's now started to go down underground as well so you then have to start climbing up the wall and if you in our instance one of the players had 
climbing gear, so that would have been all right. But if you don't have any players with climbing gear, um, you can possibly provide sort of a network of tunnels, and then they can go into those tunnels and explore them and potentially come across giant sandworms or something equally terrifying. <laughs> I'll deal with the spiral. I'll deal with the spiral. I'll, yeah, go back. I'll stay with the spiral. That's fine, guys. I'll just I'll get covered in dirt. It's fine. Uh, I'm a dwarf. Dirt's great. <laughs> yeah, right. Dirt, dirt's great. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, so that's... That was uh, that was a path not travelled by the players in our podcast, and so I offer it up here as my number three. I can't even imagine what like the atmosphere would be with how many prisoners two are around, just like fighting for their lives, willing to do anything, tripping it takes to and, be yeah. the first and to be able to save their own lives. Like that just adds a crazy. Forget sandworms, like those are <laughs> that's scary enough. Well, I just itself. think I think too, like even if you put those tunnels that you were talking about, like if they have climbing gear, great. If they don't put those tunnels just out of reach, so they still have to climb a little bit or jump, or jump <laughs> yeah. and like add those elements of like, oh crap, I could like I'm out of the spiral, but I could still die by falling, and then I'm right back in the spiral again, you know. So it, yeah. that could make for some interesting, <laughs> interesting moments of role playing too. Yeah, Mitch, what's your number three? My number three is called the Town of Rorim. And Rorim is mirror spelt backwards. And so this is where details would be huge. Those details that you'd come back to later and be like, I wonder why the DM <laughs> described, you know, in this town of Brightborough, you see that the watchtower is on the east side and the jail is on the west. And so you make all these and players might be just like, all right, come on, that's too much detail. But maybe it all comes around because you get transported maybe through a mirror is what I kind of thought of originally this in Dark Souls, which I love Dark Souls, the game. I've only played number one, but you enter into a painting and that's where you have to fight in this painting world. But I think what if you enter in a mirror and it's this mirrored version of this town that you're so familiar with and there's doppelgangers of and they're not doppelgangers as in D&D doppelgangers, but just like. They're mirrored versions of the people in the town. But like I said, details are going to be huge here. Like if you were right-handed, now this person is left-handed. If there was, if they were missing their right eye, they're now missing their left eye. All these little, like, little details, all of them have to be flipped because it's a mirror town. What if it even went so far to they spoke backwards? <laughs> like, And so mm. you, you had to imitate people speaking backwards and so... Uh, they couldn't even understand them. And so I, I thought of like, well, why would why would you need to go into this town? And actually, Chris, this won't happen, but this was going to be a place in your in the maze that you were in that you would come up to a mirror, you would see each other in the mirror, and then these gems that you're collecting, your mirror self would all of a sudden like come to life and start moving on its own and pull out of its pocket a, one of the gems and then run away. And you look at your pocket and you wouldn't have the gem anymore. And so you'd have to go into this like mirror town and find your mirror selves and get this gem back that they stole. But we've been in this maze for a long time and I felt like that would just be even more torture to you guys. We've been in it for three sessions already. Yeah, that would be awful. But there it is. There's a. I feel like that would be a really fun adventure to go into the town of Rorim and find your doppelgangers, doppelgangers of everybody you've met, but everything is switched to a mirror view for whatever reason that you need to go into there. It would be terrifying, which I feel like I've been starting a lot of sentences yeah, with. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it would be it would be terrifying if 
you were out and about in, in uh, this town in in reality, and then you went into the doppelganger into the the doppelganger town and found out that actually no, they were the real town. Oh, the doppelgangers were on the outside, terrifying. but then some of the doppelgangers outside realize come into the mirror world, and that's where the details really become important because yeah. if you're talking to someone and they wipe their brow with their left hand and they were left-handed outside which means they should be right-handed inside <laughs> and you go oh no they're the doppelganger from outside they're in here they're going to kill us May well maybe you start off in your game in the town of Rorim and <laughs> I honestly if I heard that name I'd just be like cool cool name it's, for a town, it's a town yeah. and then later on you go into this mirror world and they're called the town of mirror and like you said, that's the real place. And you're like, Rorim? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, we are the mirror people. We are the not real people. And then, the, and, then, and then the mirror people from your home mirror world come out to try and get you back. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Ah. Good plot twist. <laughs> so many Inception moments Never looking moments in a mirror today. ever again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> All right. We're down to number twos, Chris. Give it to us. Uh, I have Oliver, Oliver Holt, and the Sand Shifters. So it's kind of like the wow. It's it, it's kind of <laughs> like, like the, the start of a Jeremy and the Wanderers. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I have Oliver Holt and the Sand Shifters. And so this wizard comes into your city. Uh, his name is Oliver Holt, uh, and he tells you this marvelous tale of the Sand Shifters, the people that live out in the desert that can shift and become part of the sand. And so he. He wants to go and explore and find these people because he's a wizard. He's inquisitive. He wants to know about these things. Uh, and he tells you more and more lore about this place as you go. And, like, they can, all their homes are out of sand. And they can basically pick up their city, move it wherever they want at the, at the time because they're one with the sand. Like, they can just do this. The real reason that he wants to go out there, though, what you don't know as players, is you go into the city. Everything seems friendly. Like, the people, like, you, you've heard of the sand shifters before. They're They're pretty friendly people they're not like they're not scary maybe like some of the tales have been told to you about like the sand people will come and get you or whatever but you you find out that these people are really really nice but in fact the only reason that they're the way that they are is because there's a sand scepter that controls all of the sand people hmm. and the person that's in power is actually a human who when he takes hold of the sand scepter becomes a sand person and becomes the leader hmm. and helps control and lead these people <laughs> in the ways that, that they are. So they're nice at the time. But Oliver Holt wants to go in there and control these people to begin to slowly use them as an army. And so that's why he's called you to go out there, to be like this presence with him. You're friendly. And all the sand people are like, whoa, you guys are really cool. And to distract while he goes and takes hold of the scepter from the leader of the sand people. Because so. I love that you've given your, like, your NPCs in these ideas like names already and you're you're basically just going listeners I've done all the work for you here <laughs> yeah right this. right <laughs> yeah so that was uh that's cool. that was that was my idea for the second <laughs> or you could use it for a band I, of people that come through your town as a well, traveling it's funny boy band because, uh Morgan you joke that sounds like the beginning of a trilogy but honestly I feel like you brought up that and all I could think of was connection to the water king prince like and like <laughs> uh, i'm thinking like you oh. could make that into like this this series of like these elements. elementals yeah like these yes. elements that are in different areas and it could be a whole you could build a whole world that's based off of like the kings of the world 
control certain elements. And what happens when those kings go bad? Well, what's interesting is I don't know if you guys have caught up on this yet, but the name of my world is Panthea. Mm -hmm. And I got the idea from pantheism, Mm -hmm. where the gods are a part of the land. And so, like, the four main gods that created the world are actually the world. Ah, And so, like, they, like, the, the earth god is actually you're you're the earth like uh so and like these sand people like once again they're a part of the land like that's the the everything in my world like if you meet people like that it's probably because the world is based off of like the gods are the land the people are the land stuff like that so that's awesome it's really interesting so all right morgan give us your number two my number two is also a wizard. Nice. We love. I love wizards. Yeah, so much. wizards are fun to play with. <laughs> and uh, and so he's uh, because I've been doing a lot of campaign idea, campaign I campaign idea. I thought just a big boss, just a, a big baddie at the end. This idea of uh, you have a, a an old uh, in your hometown or wherever it is, you have this fellow that you go back to whenever you have a, a moral quandary or whatever, and you're like, oh, we need help. And uh, and he's an old wizard, not pretty amazing. And he's just this old wizard <laughs> with a bunch of cats, just all these <laughs> little course. cats. And you go in there and you pet the cats, and it's adorable. <laughs> and you're like, oh, old wizard, help us! And he goes, oh, you young rascals, when I was your age, oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, you need to do this, you need to do this, and do this, and that'll work. And you go off and you do it, and then you come back and you're like, I'm gonna grow an orchard. And he goes, what do you, what would you grow an orchard for? Go, go, do this. Go live your life. Be young. Be adventurous. <laughs> and um, and he keeps helping you and assisting you throughout the whatever you're, you you've decided to have the players go and do. And then as whatever your adventure is grows and grows and grows, and and you finally discover this big evil creature is is, is controlling everything, and you you turn up at its lair, whatever its lair happens to be, and you find out that it is that wizard (laughs) and you go wait what this is i don't huh and then he's like yeah by the way you know all these small little black cats that you thought were just lovely and unassuming and this one used to sit on your lap and you fed (laughs) mr tubbs um they're they're all displacer beasts They are all giant pumas with tentacles on their shoulders that can project images of themselves, and um, they're attacking you. Have fun with that. Bye-bye. No, Mr. Tubbs! (laughs) (laughs) Let go of my leg! (laughs) Fantastic and terrifying and all of the things that we've constantly said. Nightmare fuel. (laughs) Uh, That's taking the crazy cat lady to a whole nother level. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. My number two, I was inspired by something that happened recently in the maze to you guys. Basically, you guys were polymorphed into, some of you were polymorphed into animals, and polymorph (laughs) is is an awful spell that, like, you, it basically lasts an entire day, and then you get to roll, like, another will save, and if you make it, you get out. If you don't, you stay in the polymorph form. But I thought, what if there was a dungeon that you built as the dungeon master that was, as soon as you walked into it, it was polymorph spell. So all of your players turn into an animal, and this dungeon is built around certain challenges that only, like, like there's a climbing challenge, and so one of your party turns into a monkey. There's a flying challenge, and your one of your party turns into a bird. There's a water swimming challenge, and so one of your players turns into a frog, uh, a speed challenge, challenge scent challenge yeah rabbit cheetah whatever it is and maybe maybe it's not even like at the beginning you turn to this this creature but maybe there's even like tiles on the floor that you stand on and you assume the form of this creature and so this whole dungeon like you're pretty much useless in your human form or your dwarf form or whatever you have to assume 
the shape of different animals to go into this dungeon and actually beat this dungeon. Honestly, I, I was like, man, I'd love to play in that dungeon. That'd be really fun to be able to look and be like, all right, you're a monkey. Look up the stats for a monkey. That's what you got. Like, yeah. Let's play. <laughs> yeah. Here is this challenge in front of you. Let's see how you do. And then you have bananas <laughs> that are mimics. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the thing is, it's either are you going to be the nice DM that uh, that let <laughs> bananas that are mimics that let uh, your players like stand on a tile of a cheetah and transform into a cheetah or do they stand on a tile and they're polymorphed into a random animal because like I was looking at polymorph like stuff and it's like you could be transformed into a fish out of water. <laughs> <laughs> and have fun with that that's horrifying <laughs> like that is not good you're that means you're dead if your monkey friend doesn't carry you to a bowl of water really yeah quick. and maybe there's not a secondary save that you can unpolymorph yeah. you just stay that the whole time yeah. you're in and then the, you dungeon. the dungeon and you transform back maybe exactly. it's maybe it's so, a barrier that you just walk through you turn into whatever terrible transformation yeah. is what i entitled it nice but, I thought nice. that would be a really fun dungeon to get into. It'd be especially fun, inevitably, watching players try and do the challenges that you've put together as entirely the wrong animal. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you've got the monkey trying to do the swimming challenge. Yep. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like, no, I can do it. I'll do it. It's fine. Yeah, especially if you don't get a fish or something like that that could go with you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, and I would be the mean DM that would be like, you're a monkey now, so all you can do is ooh, ooh, ah, ah. And you can hand wave to your friends. So all of you can make the sounds that your animals are and communicate in that way. And then all of your dungeon. neighbors, if you live in an apartment building, are like, what the what heck the is heck going is on? Do, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would I would have a lot of fun with that. Nice. We're at number ones. Here they are. Chris, number one. Start us off. My number one is entitled, But I Am Afraid of the Dark. <laughs> The description I have is, in a small farming village, children begin to complain to their parents about seeing ghosts in the middle of the night. Parents will sit in their, their kids' room so they fall asleep, sometimes even stay the whole night, and find nothing. But they'll see their children start to, like, freak out about things that are in their room, and they won't understand, like, what their kids are scared of, right? The reason the parents cannot see what's in the room is because these shades or whatever is coming into their rooms have like a hide from adult spell on Ooh, them and so only the children scary. can see whatever is coming into their rooms so they're coming in through windows or they're coming in through the doorways but the adults can't see what's happening and so maybe this is a night where you guys play like a one shot or like you play as the children in the city and some of them work up enough courage because they figure out what's going on like their parents aren't going to do anything about this we have to do something about this and so the kids just all of a sudden go on this adventure to figure out what the heck is yeah. going on behind these playing like young like 10-year-old kids yeah. for once. Yeah, and it, well I was thinking about this. I was like maybe this is even something that like if you're a parent and you're really big into Dungeons and Dragons and your kids are and your kids start having nightmares, oh, maybe yeah. this is something that you could do with your kids <laughs> you to be like nightmares. Yeah, or like, you just made it worse. <laughs> yeah, or you just made it worse. So you would have to read read how your kids would respond to it. But maybe that's something you could do with them as well. But I thought that would be a really interesting because Nobody really plays as kids yeah. in Dungeons and Dragons. And so how do you like, what kind of stats do you have? Do you have like below average strength or do you have regular strength? Do you just like change it so that it's more like kid strength or, you know, so. Kid strength. Yeah, right. Kid strength. <laughs> so that was, that was my number one idea. Nice. I love it. Was, yeah. I, I, I hate it. That's terrible. <laughs> I do realize I, I have to sleep up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> or you don't. You won't. It's like. It's, it's, it's three in the morning. I'm going to bed. I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm staying up. Well, you're an adult. They're hiding from you. You're not going to know they're there. Yeah, you don't. They're Good. there, just so you know, but they're, you don't see them. You'll never see <laughs> them. I just can't see them. Yeah, you'll never see them. That makes it so much better. 
Or maybe it's even on the on the way of like Jimmy Neutron style where all the parents start disappearing. And then like it's the kids that are just left and the oh, kids know what happened. Kids? But the adults don't know oh, what happened. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> So See, now that's got me thinking of um, oh, hocus pocus, where all the parents get put under the spell. Mm. Yeah, and all the all the kids have to that's try and save school. them. <laughs> yeah, so, still holds up. Still there you holds go. Up. Have fun not sleeping, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what's your number two? No, number one. Or your number, number one. one. Let's hope it's well, a happy tell you one. Number... Is it a happy one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think so. It is. Oh, it's, nice. I, I I think so. Um, it doesn't have a name, but um, it's, it's an idea. That I had after listening to the last um, cool. creation and um, Inspiration. the one starting with I. There we go. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> basically, you were talking towards the end there about um, having uh, difficulties with big battles and how they can drag. Mm -hmm. And I've only ever done one big battle, and it didn't seem to play out the way you guys played out the big battle with the giant sort of. Yeah. Uh, board and all the pieces set up on it and setting everything up and the last time and the only time i ever had a, a big battle i actually had two groups playing in the same world mm. and I, I ran these two sessions that's and been I'd a dream sort of, of mine the, so that's sweet it yeah i've, it is I've thought about that being so super awesome too <laughs> it, it's it's great were they it against amazing each other when it, or were they like together? They didn't know. Ah. They just one group would play, and the second half of their campaign interacted with the first half of the next group, and then the second half of their campaign interacted with the first half of the first group. So one group would set fire to things, and in, in an area to distract the guards, so they could then steal something, and then uh, two days later, and the, the other group would walk into the area going. Why is this set on fire? Who would do this? What's going on? <laughs> and, you know, people would say, oh, a bunch of people came in and set it on fire and did stuff. And so they sort of go around this this place and interact indirectly with each other. I, I wanted to keep them separate, but I didn't actually have to try. They just managed to stay separate. It, it worked out. I was very lucky and I sort of thanked, thanked them uh, quite a bit at the end when it all sort of came together in this and and this is the bit that i was going to to mention the idea is that it came together in a big battle and so one group the first group they got tasked with they ended up running the battle tactics and so they were in the tent and we basically we got a bunch of war machine minis because they were into war machine and and uh, they were sort of the groups of troops on the table and it became a little bit more role play of physically actually standing around the table than it was rolling dice to see stuff uh, but we still did a bit of that because they were they were standing around moving these uh reskin war machine minis as, as groups of troops and sort of moving the groups into position and having them fight and seeing how that sort of went down in a much more sort of war machine way and sort of a little bit more streamlined except for one group where some lines of communication had broken down the messengers had died <laughs> and they didn't know if they won or lost the ground hmm. that area was where the second group were playing hmm. and the second group and this is sort of like in the movie 300 where there's that yep. one big battle or in the bbc merlin tv series near the start of <laughs> season five there's this huge battle going on surrounding the players and the characters and things like that but the camera's focusing on this one sort of guy or one group and the people that he's fighting so i thought it would be great if you did something like that and you had the players and so i had the sort of a hints of the bigger battle i had a roll table and every now and again like a wayward goblin would run in or a random yeah. arrow would sort of fly towards them from some other bit of the battle where someone shot at someone and missed and so it went towards the players not aimed at them just 
towards them. And so you get these hints of this larger battle that's happening around them. But for the most part, I just sort of followed the players as they carved this path, sort of one fight at a time, one encounter at a time, through to this major bad guy. So I, I didn't set up the rest of the battle. I just hinted at it as they powered in towards this guy and focused on this sort of little small moment and let the the bigger battle become sort of this background blur. Yeah, magnifying this one portion of the battle. We do that a lot with, we put up a big board and we'll throw enemies in and I always just say, guys, there's a ton of stuff happening around you, but if I put everything down, we would all hate each other and hate life. And it would take forever. And it would take forever. And this cool big battle would be way less cool than if we all just picture it in our minds and imagine the craziness that's going on especially when you have a battle that you want to have this sweet battle where there's nation 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 all involved in this mm-hmm. and so yeah if, if any dm out there is insane enough to want to try <laughs> and run multiple adventures at once that intersect with one another that is uh yeah potentially a way to do that that's awesome i that's sweet that you were able to do that i still to this day, I'm like, I would love to do that one day. To have the time to DM for two groups and to, in like the finale or whatever, bring them together, whether it's like evil campaign and good campaign, and they come together at the end and let's see who wins, yep. or like they come together to help each other out, but oh, juggling the like, this group did this this week, so how does this affect this group? And that's fantastic. That's really cool. My number one is rather short, but it's pretty sweet, I think. I didn't put a lot of details into it because I think it speaks for itself. My number one, I've entitled Fort Tarask, and it's exactly that. So that's the end of the episode. You know, we're uh, we're done now. A <laughs> no, powerful <just> <laughs> villain has done the impossible. I'm sending you off the bed, Morgan, with the terrifying notions. A powerful vision villain has done the impossible. He's domesticated a Tarask. He's built upon its back an impenetrable fortress. And he travels the world conquering, but mostly destroying all those who stand in his way. So basically, whether he's like a, maybe he's a wizard or he has a wizard at his side that in, amplifies his voice. Just imagine like those those alien movies where the aliens project like their voice and they're like, we've we've come to destroy your world. I'm thinking of <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide right oh, now. Yeah. But think of like a, a Tarrasque. <laughs> coming to a city and standing outside of the city with a fort on its back and this amplified voice being like, you will either follow me or say goodbye to your city. (laughs) And just like, if they don't, (laughs) if the king does not surrender and pay homage, it's just like, Tarask, boom, 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 boom. Ten minutes, the city's gone. (laughs) Or he sends in his giant gelatinous cube before him. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) So that's my number one. That is awesome. DM that campaign. <laughs> It'd be fantastic if he was um, really, really polite about right? it as well. <laughs> just like, uh, greetings and hi. Um, just letting you know, uh, give me everything yes. or I will murder. He, yeah, all he's of you. not a warlord. He's like a, a <laughs> really like sophisticated villain <laughs> that, that comes out on this platform and is just like looking down on it. And I, I imagine like the players in that campaign being like like amplify that scene with Luke Skywalker taking the thing and shooting it up on the belly of the ATAT and make that like they have this grappling hook thing they throw it up this terrasque and they have to scale the terrasque and find this villain and defeat him uh, so that terrasque can like maybe do a couple more like 
rampages, but then finally go back underground where it belongs. And or or they control years. it at that point in time. Oh, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would never give that power to a player. <laughs> that's, just, that's, that's terrifying to me as a DM. <laughs> Especially with what you do in my campaign, Chris. I want to change the world. <laughs> yeah, right. Can you imagine Again. the riders of Shemesh with a Terrasque Riding mount? A, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I want it. I want it so, done before so the end of the Fort campaign. So Tarask would be horrifying, <laughs> but nice. I mean, how you can't get much more terrifying as a as a big bad than a an evil villain riding in an impenetrable fortress on the back of a Tarask destroying cities. <laughs> that is epic no, level campaigns if I've ever heard it. So that's, I think that's like above epic yeah, level campaigns. That's epically <laughs> epic level campaigns. Yeah. There's like a whole army of Tarasks in Impenetrable Fortress. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. It. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, most, like, it's like really simple. It's like, it's like really simple to domesticate the, the Tarask. Like it's this huge thing, but it's really simple. And they found out how to do it, but nobody's ever like tried yeah. other than that because they don't even know where to start. Oh gosh. <laughs> you you just have to stroke its nose. Yeah, yeah right. You get to the <laughs> Top of the Trask to uh, Tower, and there's a dude with a with a he's a Pied Piper. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Bringing the ten to the number one. Okay, <laughs> with Oliver Holt and the Sand Shifters on there, and Jeremy or Jeremiah and the Wanderers. Uh, and he goes, <laughs> and the way that they have to the defeat <laughs> them is by bringing by tricking the Trask to go into a valley. That's a yeah, big. Valley of Mimic. <laughs> this is like Godzilla in D and D, like the Valley Mimic versus the Trask Fortress. Like. And he has his Gromp Riders that follow through afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Okay. Well, that is our top 10. We hope that you've enjoyed that. And we hope that now you have, you're focused on details and you have 30 new ideas to SDMs put into your world. And I mean, this episode is the most terrifying one we've ever had to date with ideas. So <laughs> go out there, be terrible slash awesome DMs and scare the heck out of your players <laughs> but with that morgan it is it is what four o'clock in the morning where you are now it's quarter to four it is indeed yeah you're wow. a trooper man yeah, you are thank you so much for joining us on this episode this has been an absolute pleasure we want to send you off to bed with nightmares but we want to send you off to bed so once again thank you so much for being on this episode it, it's been awesome we would love to have you back sometime we know time differences can be tough but hopefully you've enjoyed yourself and this has been a great experience for all of us I have indeed. It's been so much fun. And uh, having listened to it, of course, listened to the Dungeon Master's Block and, and having all the ideas whenever I, I, I listen and it's like, oh, oh, we could do this and you could do that. And now I actually get to say it. And You're part and, of it. Um, I am. It's, I, it's history. It's happened. You can't take yes. it away from me. You can't delete it off the internet. I am now Galactus. <laughs> yes. or, yeah. <laughs> there you go hey so so morgan if our listeners would like to get in touch with you if they want to email you and be like dude that was awesome like we loved your mimic valley idea that made me think of this or i put this in my campaign where can they email you at and maybe follow you on twitter as well if um, the usual methods don't work of smoke signals and scrying stones, <laughs> they can find me on goinginblindpodcast at gmail.com or just the website goinginblindpodcast.com. We've got all the episodes up there and character creation and all the rest of it. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher. Twitter is goinginblinddnd. That tends to be where I'm the most active to the point where 
I'm only on my own Twitter when I get kicked <laughs> off going in blind D&D by other people. Like, no, it's our turn. Like, fine, I'll go do my own thing. Um, so yes, <laughs> at going in blind D&D on Twitter, uh, all that email that I mentioned and uh, would love to hear from any of your listeners, if, whether they want to come and listen to our podcast going in blind or whether they just want to come along and say, you gave my six-year-old nightmares. <laughs> I have now created an effigy of you in our D&D <laughs> game and we have burnt it. <laughs> and we've burnt it. <laughs> yeah, seriously, go check out the Going In Blind podcast. It's fantastic. Morgan does a fantastic job. Don't let this be the last time you hear him, or at least the last time until he hopefully comes back on a future episode. Go check him out. You have How many episodes are you guys up to now? It depends on when this came out, but we're up to episode eight is dropping as soon as I'm done with this, basically, and then I get to sleep. So we've Perfect. got at least eight episodes out now, um, taking us right the way through the early hook that I created, and uh, episode eight is the start of the Lost Mine, Lost Mine of Fandelva's uh, module. And we'll be going through a truncated version of that and then spinning back into the larger story that has been brewing and building. And there have been a couple of little clues that I've already laced in there to point people in the right direction and uh, give them a hint of what is to come. So awesome. So go check that out. Last thing before we say goodbye to you, Morgan, and maybe maybe you don't want to give this out, but we talked about Nick at the beginning of the episode. If our listeners want to go tell Nick, how dare you? Does he have a Twitter they could they could barrage <laughs> him with that? He does not. He doesn't have email? a Twitter. <laughs> or how about personal <laughs> phone number, social security <laughs> number? <laughs> All right, no, I've I've got it. Actually, send send if you want to say something to Nick, send an email to goinginblindpodcast at gmail.com. I will collect with the, with the, um, the header title, Nick, and then <laughs> write whatever you want to write whatever to him. Whatever you want. And then I will sit down with him as a, <laughs> we do um, occasionally, uh, we do behind the blind uh, podcasts, which are little behind nice. the scenes things. And I will do one of those. I will sit down with him and read them out to him. Oh, yes. And, and do and have it be the real reactions on air. That'd be great. Oh, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> listeners, entitle it Nick and send it to Morgan. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, hey, Morgan, once again, thanks so much for being on the show. We've appreciated you giving up your time, especially since it is now about 4 a.m. there. So really, thank you so much. You've been awesome. You've been an absolute pleasure to have on. And uh, we hope to see to talk to you again sometime in the near future. Check out Going In Blind Podcast. Morgan, go get some sleep. Have a great night. Try not to be kept awake too long by all the terrifying stories that we've talked about here tonight no worries i shall definitely not sleep i'm not sleeping that uh, is not happening but thank you very much <laughs> thank you and goodbye listeners and good luck walking through zen gardens in the near future <laughs> there we go see you later Morgan. See ya. cheers they have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? All right, we're here for another mailbag of holding, the place where we come to talk about ideas, stories, and questions that you, the listeners, send in. And today we have a really good question sent in by Tucker DeBolt. And Tucker asks us, and there's some context here we'll get into it. He says, my question is about how much change from the rules 
do you think is allowed to happen in a campaign? And so he gives a couple examples of what he means. And basically his first example with how much change in the rules should we as DMs do comes into play with battle. So like he said that he's he's kind of had this hard time of balancing battle. He's had battles where it's just ridiculously easy for his PCs to mow over all the enemies and then to kind of equal it out he's tried to make them a little bit more difficult and he's ended up in situations where it's been really really challenging and he said you know that's okay my players are okay with that we've had character deaths because of it and they've dealt well with it my characters are okay with challenges but like how do I like how do I come to terms with how much rule changing I can do with battle so let's talk about that first. What what about battle and rule changing? Chris, what are your thoughts? How much rule changing are we allowed to do as DMs? So for me, I think changing rules, I I think we've changed rules quite a bit. And I think I, for, I, I, know I, I, do, I think yeah. for us more, the reason that we come up with changing the rules, and I, I'll speak for myself, is because it's something that doesn't feel clear to us exactly, or it's something we've never had to experience before. And so I can't come up with an idea right off the top of my head of one that we've you know, ever had to change. But there's been times where we're like, we don't know exactly how that works. And so we'll pause and we'll take a minute to look up, like, how does this work? And we're like, that's way too complex to make it yeah. work that way. Let's just say it's, we, we do it this way, and that's the way that we're going to house rule it in. And I think that's worked well for us in the past. And so you know, I, I think as far as like, you need to pick up a rock. Well, you need to do a strength check. I don't think you can necessarily change that, but I think there's I think there's other things that it's like well you can you can change it to make whatever you want to happen fit your story within within reason. I, but. I agree, and I think that should be a group mentality of like let's work together and come up with and decide on the rules that we enjoy. If we don't enjoy a rule or don't think it makes sense, then we will homebrew something that makes sense for us. Also, what about what about like stats though, like monster stats? Say you're in a because I think that's really what he's trying to get to the point of is. He's in a battle, he's DMing, his players are fighting a yeah. creature, and he's like, oh yeah, boss battle, here we go. And in the first round, they kill like this monster that he put in. And he was like, well, that was way simpler. And so his problem is then, he goes, all right, well, I guess we'll put in a different monster that's stronger. And then it's like, oh crap, that this one's thing way is going too to hard, kill. So yeah. like, he's a I think he's asking, like, what about like stats? Like, can I change stats? Like, and... My my thinking is even like in the middle of battle. Like Chris, have you ever like in the middle of battle as a DM gone, holy cow, they're taking down this monster too quick. Uh his health is gonna be at fifty more than health originally. Health is was. something that I change a lot yeah, more than I do because AC people AC will pay attention to. Pay attention it's to like, it, oh, yeah. fifteen didn't hit. Oh, sixteen yeah. does hit? Okay, well they yeah, know where that line I know is. Exactly and then where you it is. yeah, and then you go the next time, it's like do I hit with a sixteen? It's like, nope. Yeah. It's like, come on, you you change something. But health, I'll be like, oh, this is going a little bit quicker than I thought. It has 58 health. It now has 88 health mm -hmm. instead, you know? Especially, I, I don't necessarily do it if it's like, oh, you encounter a pack of wolves on the side of the road. But if it's like a, it's like a big bad guy that's like you're, you're wanting this to Something be a big critical turning story. point for yeah. your players, I, will, I, I have with the dragons that you guys have faced, I've added some health onto them because I was like, this is going way too quickly. Well, especially like you said, if they've fought in battles leading up to like a boss and they've just decimated all these guys, like, do you really want the boss to be the same exact? No challenge during the night. So like changing stats during battle, I, I don't think that there's a problem with that as long as you use good judgment and you have to have this 
I don't know what the word is, but like as a DM, I've no I've known before that DMs do this yeah. because I can tell that they're doing this. And so as a DM, you have to be able to do it without having a huge tell and giving away that you're changing things and having that shocked face of like, yeah. oh gosh, you just killed it. And then yeah. like pausing and, and being like, and he keeps fighting. Like, yeah. okay, DM. Yeah. Like, I've, I've gone so far as something that I've started doing because we, you know, lower level, we, we've started our campaigns at lower levels. Yeah. And so something that I've started doing with some, some creatures uh, is I've actually changed the AC. If I have like four different creatures, I'll have them have just a little, like if it's say it's an orc and it has, 15 AC. I'll put one of them at 16. Maybe he's got a little yeah. bit more armor on. Maybe this one is only wearing leather armor, so he's got like a 12 or something like that. And so I change it and then just watch people's faces go like, whoa, that's not by the book. And I'm like, <laughs> but it adds an interesting element to the game. Yeah, for you, you know, These orcs can put on different armor yeah. just like you can. Yep. <laughs> like it's, yep. it, that's, it's not by the book because the bookmakers didn't want to put orc in full plate, orc yeah, right, in right. chainmail, orc yeah. in hide armor. Yeah. Like, but it is possible, but, and thus they yeah, can do I that. Think, I think for many players and you know, DMs that are players and vice versa, there's this mentality that's like an orc is an orc based off of the D&D book, or a dragon is a dragon based off of the D&D book. And, and for me, I'm like, the, those have always been more guidelines for me. They're a good starting point, and I can, if I need to, to make the story progress in a certain way, I'll add HP, or it'll have a little bit higher dexterity or a little bit higher strength to make different things i know we've happen. talked about it on the podcast but a lot of times i'll i'll change things like that on purpose because i as a dm grow right. very weary of the players and we have them who know the stats of monsters the players who don't dm but somehow know these weird monsters that we've never come up in battle against before and they know the stats and i'm like mm -hmm. come on guys don't read you know, I, I harp on it all the time. People have heard it before, but I can't stand when players who don't DM go and read monster manuals. Yeah. It just well, doesn't make sense. We've talked too to with people in the past who are like, you know, I have some players that have played for 25 years and know yeah. the stats of all, like a lot of creatures, not because they've read the monster manual, but just because they've played enough that they've run into regular creatures enough to know their stats. And it's like, for me, if I, I, we don't have those, thankfully, well, not thankfully, I would love to have some, but you know, we, we don't have those problems that some more experienced players have, but I think that could in and of itself, changing battle rules could liven up a game for some people that, oh, yeah. that have been used to seeing, you can you know, change something small to, uh, an orc or something that like makes them different, makes them them tick. It'll make their ears perk up a little yeah. bit. And they're like, wait a minute, yeah, what's, that's not what's what going on? Or yeah. you can just homebrew a creature and they've never seen it before, and thus it's a whole challenge in the battle because they don't know the stats. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing I think is the DM screen that most DMs use. That's there for a number of reasons. That's there to give you a command center that you have like a bunch of like rules like at your fingertips that you can just look at like very quickly without having to open a book, which is really nice. Yep. That's there so that you can hide things behind the DM screen, say like pieces that you don't want your, your players to see that you have this miniature because you don't want them to know what's coming. Well, you don't want night. to pull it off the shelf and see exactly. like, Oh, Hey, exactly. he's pulling oh, he's out pulling a minotaur, yeah. you know, you awesome. want that, like that moment of you drop it from behind the shield and like, Oh no, yeah. like, you want that. But honestly, it's also so that the players can't see your dice rolls. Yeah. Like, if that was something that the DM screen was not supposed to have, then people would roll their dice in front of the DM screen. But that's something that is 
inherit to a dungeon master that players don't see your dice rolls. Now, having this power, you need to remember that you are not against the player. You're on the player's side. But sometimes that means making a monster roll better because maybe they're rolling terribly and the battle is just going too quickly and the players are just becoming bored because it's not a challenge. And so maybe you make that monster roll a little bit better. Once again, you have to get good at not having this tell of like your players going, that's such a lie. Like there's yeah. no way, you know, the flip side of that is also sometimes you roll worse than the monsters do because you're like, I don't, I don't want all my players to die. This is a great Oh crap, story they've rolled moment. all 16, 17s, and 18s yeah. the yeah. whole battle. I last game we played, I don't remember what battle it was, but I rolled three dice for one monster making an attack. And I, I kid you not, I got nat 20, nat 20, nat 20. And I was like, they're not going to believe this. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm not going to Was that do the one this. that did like 78 damage to? No, no that was just one crit. But oh, okay. there, there was a word. I, I, I fudged it and I didn't have it hit that hard because I was like, I don't want to right now just completely obliterate. I think it was in the high school game that we played, not the maze game. So I fudged some rolls. I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But that's. That's the thing. Like you as the DM need to be a good judge of when you change stats, when you change the roles, but it all has to be an effort to make the game a better game. Yeah. I mean, the first question that you ask is when are you allowed to as a DM change the rules? You're allowed to change whatever rules you want whenever, whenever you, you want. want. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. The thing is here is that you if you change rules that end up making your players like hate the game, dislike the game, not have a good time. Well, that's within your power as the DM to do that. You're running the game, but the players might not come back. <laughs> right, right. So do it in an effort to make the game better, to have more fun. The second part of Tucker's question of changing rules has to do with, he gave his players throughout their campaign a dragon egg. They found a dragon egg. And now his players are really excited. They're like, oh, we want to raise this thing up, yeah. ride it into battle. It'll be sweet. And he's like, well, I looked up the age of dragons, and they age, like, super slowly. Yeah. So it's going to be just a little weak baby for, like, five years. They're yeah. not going to get to, like, ride into battle. That's not going to happen. And so he asks, like, is it too convenient to come up with a way that this dragon magically ages quicker? Like, is that, like not realistic can i do that and you and me both read that question and we were like not realistic this is dungeons and yeah. dragons my thing is, is like dragons are not real they're yeah. made up make up whatever the heck you want yeah. about them like i could see you coming There's up with something in the world yeah well and i could see something like maybe it's something that dragons age really really fast for their like for their first like three years they become like a young adult but a repercussion for that is their metabolisms are going really fast you need to constantly provide a lot of food for them in order to get to that you know stage so yeah, there I could be think of the there, cost of raising yeah so i was like there I, like there could be you know instead of it being like okay well you guys have to do the waiting game five years from now in a campaign world you could make go really quickly but if you're going to try and do like any sort of story you might want to keep it to a couple years yeah. or whatever but you could, I mean, you could very easily say, okay, dragons grow really, really quickly for their first, like, two years. But to change this and make it not so it's, make them work for it a little bit so it's even cooler is like, hey, you have to provide, like, four sheep a day for this thing at a certain point. <laughs> and it, it starts to cost you a little bit. But the reward for that, though, when this thing finally can hunt on its own and, like, fly and you can fly on its back, 
is going to be so cool for your players. And so I would say totally allow them to do that. I think that's a good point. Like, if this is your own world, you can change the lore of how dragons age. If it's not your own world, if you're playing in Forgotten Realms or something and you don't want to do something like that because that changes the lore of Forgotten Realms, well, there's wizards. And so you can come up, you can maybe set them on a quest that this makes a whole different quest for your players to go on a quest to find a wizard that's powerful enough to do this. Maybe they go to a library and they're like, oh, let's see if there's a way to age dragons quicker. Or bring it to, you know, you you create a plane in your world where things age faster. And you guys, the wizard takes the egg in there and the egg hatches and ages rather quickly and brings it back. And now you have a eight-year-old baby dragon. Whenever something like this comes up in, like, my games, I always ask myself two questions. I ask myself, one, is this going to be fun for my players? Yeah. And the second question I ask is, is this going to mess up my lore? And if the answer to the first question is yes, and the answer to the second question is no, and sometimes that, when when players bring up stuff like this, it actually gets my cogs working. I have not thought about how that works in my world, and so it allows me to work with them and create something in my world that adds to the lore of my world. And then you have more buy-in than just that single campaign as well. Yeah, And so in, in my opinion if the answer is yes it is fun and no it doesn't mess up some lore that i've already established or something that i'm like i really don't want my world to work that way then do it have fun with your players if you as a dm are okay with them having a dragon of whatever age and having that going into battle like that is something that those players will remember for the rest of their Dungeons and Dragons career, like remember that time we got that dragon egg and we we found this wizard and magically altered it to grow up really fast yeah. and it was our mount into battle. That was awesome. Yeah. So, are you allowed to, as a DM, change rules and how much of the rules can you change? Like we said before, as many as much and as many as you yeah, want. That's yeah. up to you as the DM. Just do it the whole time with this mentality of i'm trying to make a better game for Mm -hmm. my players the Mm -hmm. rules like you said chris they're guidelines yeah they're very well written guidelines yes but they're guidelines (laughs) so thank you tucker for writing in and asking those very awesome questions we hope that this helped you out a lot and now we have for you another segment of dmnastics with dm neil and dm main prize Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And I'm DM Main Prize. Uh, yes, that is my actual name. This is our second segment of DMnastics. We're kind of highlighting something that we do on the Dungeon Masters Block forums. So this DMnastics exercise tied in with episode 25, which was part three of bringing the magic of magic to D&D. It focused on like three races, the Leonin, Noggles, and the Kithkin. And the guest was the one and only hashtag Magic Mark. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, go back, find it, listen to it. So the post that I made on the forums was called All Your Races Are Belong to Us. And the idea for the post was I just listed a, a pretty long list of, you know, imaginary races from, you know, video games, movies, books, and kind of issued a challenge for the other DMs on the forums to take one of those races and create a homebrew playable race or an NPC race they could put in their campaigns. Examples of these would be Argonians from the Elder Scrolls Skyrim, Ferengi from Star Trek, or the Skaven from Warhammer. 
DM Neal is going to talk about a post he actually made that was about the Kree erased from Marvel Comics. So I tried to bring the Kree to 5th edition, just looking at the player's handbook and just trying to keep the formatting as similar as possible and, of course, not to create something super overpowered. I also tossed in a couple sub-races, an evil race, just like the elf. The elves have the drow and the dwarves have Duogar. So a couple of things that really stood out to me was that the uh, Kree race is super advanced. So I added in the tech-savvy ability. So whenever a Kree makes an intelligence investigation check related to mechanical items, you are considered proficient in the investigation skill and add double your proficiency bonus to the check instead of the normal proficiency bonus. Another one that was super cool was uh, extra organs. The Kree have a few to spare, so a Kree character may re-roll a failed death saving throw after using this ability. You can't use it again until a short or long rest. I thought that was just a super cool attribute that they had that needed to be added to the uh, race. So the sub-races are the blue skin Kree. Um, example of that would be Ronan the Accuser from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And there's also the pink skin Kree who are similar in appearance to Caucasian humans. So for that, I actually gave human likeness. You have advantage on all skill checks that include impersonation of a human and the role, which were um, kind of a test tube bred race that are the evil version of the Kree. So for the next idea, I'll toss it back to you, DM Mainprice. All right. So the next idea comes from Friar Took, who posts a lot and he's one of the fellow listeners. He's also a big fan of Game of Thrones, both the TV show and the Song of Ice and Fire books. So he chose to tackle off the list White Walkers, which, as we all know, are the very uh, scary and ominous cold people from north of the wall. Uh, so his idea was to make them be really strong and really nimble. So he gave them a plus two to strength and a plus one to dex uh, for their age. You know, they're very, very old and ancient in, in the books and the show, so they can live as long as 2,000 years. Um, however, you know, he mentioned they, they don't reproduce the way they create more White Walkers is by taking, you know, small baby humans and going through this ritual to create a new White Walker. Uh, he talked about their alignment a little bit that, you know, they're seen as evil by most of the people of Westeros, but they're really not evil. They're kind of other motivated. They kind of are about balance. He talked about their appearance. You know, they're tall and thin. Uh, they're about seven feet tall. They weigh 175 pounds and they have smooth, pale skin and they have glowing, like, blue icy eyes. They also have winter-resistant, uh, which means they're immune to cold damage, and they are resistant to damage from normal weapons not made by obsidian or valerian steel. Uh, they also have an innate necromancy ability, which he gave them, so once a day a White Walker could raise a corpse as an Ice White, and those Ice Whites are going to gain those resistances and vulnerabilities as well. Uh, so that's something really cool that he kind of came up with to put into his campaigns, but it's based out of, like, a book and TV show that he really loves. So those were the two ideas we wanted to highlight this week. Uh, again, you know, join up on the forums, get involved in these challenges. Um, they're going to really, you know, flex your creative muscles, get you coming up with new cool ideas and straight, you know, taking ideas that other DMs have come up with and say, man, I really like that. I'm going to alter this. I'm going to add this into my own campaigns. And you're something fresh and new, something your players may not be, you know, 100%. They know all the stats for, which I know they've talked about on the podcast. That's something really great. If you have players that have played for a long time, give them some content that's new that they're not so familiar with. So to do that, you can just head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net, try some of the DMnastics, so your players don't ask, do you even lift? 
Well, that's all that we have for you on this week of the Dungeon Master Block. We hope that you have enjoyed all those top tens. Chris, like we said last week, I think that's that's our favorite That was one by that far my done. favorite That was one. a lot of fun. Well, for me, it was a lot of my top tens came out of things that I implemented into my world for potential different things that you guys could do in the future. Yeah, so. exactly. And it was, oh man, it was just terrifyingly fantastic. We had a lot of band <laughs> names, if I remembered right, coming out of So if you're looking to create a band, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Chris, if they would like to contact us and maybe send us some feedback about how they've used one of our top tens from this episode or in the past, or send us some top tens of their own, where can they reach us at? Yeah, you can reach us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us all of your great top tens or whatever. Whatever you feel like talking about, really, we will respond as quickly as we can. You can also, if you find it in your heart, head over to iTunes and send us a five-star review. Help the community know that we're a podcast worth listening to and, and grow the, the membership and listener base for this podcast. We're also on Stitcher, and you can find us at our forums at dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. Head over there and share some more of your ideas. Follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's DMs block. And like our Facebook page. We have a Patreon shout-out for this week. And our Patreon shout-out for this week is... Daniel Willis. Yeah, thank yeah, you, thank Daniel. You. You're awesome. Thank you so much for your support. Daniel is a silver dragon. Cacao, silver. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your support, Daniel. We really appreciate it. But with that, that's all that we have for you on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing all of the characters, <laughs> and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. We'll see you later, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering, and remember, always kill a character. Wait a minute. No. Or yes.